This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A., we are Halloweenies! You said, I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better off without me. Come surround me in stormy weather. Stormy weather. It always surrounds me. I billed you 20 letters from Paris last year. Well... You've been gone six months, and I've got the fear. After all the songs that we've sung together, after all the sweet and all the stormy weather. That's right, I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Fake Shemp Gerber, traveling with my fellow Halloweenies, just a gang of podcasters, singing along to classic songs on the radio, heading out to a rundown cabin in the middle of nowhere, where we hope to, you know, do some drugs, nothing too hard, maybe give... Uh, you know, magnifying glass necklaces to the women that we love, <laughs> or men, and almost certainly not accidentally bring about demons that possess and kill us one by one. Oops, they did. Our souls have been swallowed, and we want you to join us for our new season of Halloweenies, in which we will be discussing all things Evil Dead, starting off with the entry with a definitive the. I'm talking about... 1981-1982-1983's <laughs> The Evil Dead, directed by the great Sam Raimi. But before we do that, let's head around Nobi's gigantic playback machine and discuss the first time we remember seeing this first movie in the franchise. Uh, we've got no less than three fake shimps on this episode, as per usual. You've got, you've got all the Halloweenies this time, as in uh, we have no guests. So let's see which Halloween will we start off with. Let's start off with... The Halloweeny who had to turn his heat back on because it was beginning to look like the cabin in the woods. Who's that? Uh, this is Michael Maniac Ash Rothman. And um, oh my God, am I so excited to talk about this franchise. Uh, you know, I was, I was actually debating with my girlfriend, Samuel, while we were watching it. I mean, like, do I love this movie more than Halloween? 
and I can certainly and safely say I love this franchise more than Halloween. Um, whether or not it's I love the original one more, we'll see. But uh, this is a this is a film that is just so instrumental to to everything horror for me. Um, and uh, going back to like I think it's 1998 was when I first saw it. I want to say it was earlier, but I really do think it was Anchor Bay Entertainment that got me into watching Evil Dead because I was just. Not that I was like on the subscription thing, like a fan club thing or whatever, but like I just would go into Sam Goodyear or Suncoast and look at everything that Anchor Bay was putting out there, mostly because of what Halloween was at that time. And I remember Evil Dead was paired with Halloween all the time. And I was like, all right, I got to watch this. And I mean, in a way, it traded places with Halloween, no pun intended, um, as my kind of go-to rewatch. I mean, I can't tell you how many Friday nights were lost to this movie, the first one especially. I think it's because of its brevity, but also because of the tangibility of it all. I mean, I'm probably going to talk about this a lot throughout this episode, but, you know, I, too, was kind of like a, a, tr- a try, a, you know, a would-be Sam Raimi, a try-hard try- Sam Raimi where I wanted to make movies, and so we always had camcorders and making stupid shit, and... I would say Evil Dead and Blair Witch Project were just paramount to like fueling our our love for making something stupid with a camera, and um, so I think that was a big part of it. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just gigantic fan of this franchise, and um, I can't wait to talk about it. This is gonna be such a great season. Yeah, not really any duds in this bunch at all to parse around them, in, in my humble opinion. Well, let's head on down to somebody who is. Well, let's say there's two people left on this on this episode. Let's go to the person who is related to me. Narrow this down. is <laughs> Wolfman Mac Renomicon Gerber. And wow, uh, that's uh, nice. the, <laughs> oh, the this I've said this before and I've said this on our, our commentary episode, uh, that this is easily my favorite horror movie of all time. Mm, uh wow. I think that I just saw it at an age when I don't know if I believed, but I definitely was able to suspend my disbelief a little bit more than uh, normal. But we watched it in my the back room of our old home. I remember, I think we, we'd either taped it off of Sci Fi Channel or something. I guess I was, it was sure the USA it was edited Network. to hell. It was USA. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's so funny because we watched it so much that while watching it again yesterday, I was able to call every time they would go to commercial break. Yes. <laughs> the <laughs> original <laughs> cut, which is hilarious. You know, you know, still got the most, Mac, is I remember right after he chops Linda's head off after she comes back from the dead, again, after being buried, and they have got that aerial shot. I remember it would always go to commercial break there, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, or or when, when Linda's breaks, laughing in the them, doorway. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. Anywho, love the movie. Um, right there with Mike. Like, I, I don't think that it spurred me to go off and make horror movies with my friends. But it was kind of funny because my friends, we were always making little tiny films that were more comedic. So in the same vein as uh, Sam Raimi. And, uh, but we should have, we should have been making horror movies because clearly we, 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 we could have gone that route <laughs> like they did, but we did not. 
I love, yeah, I've loved this movie through and through. I watched it a few times now um, to gear up for this. It is kind of one of those movies where I kind of kept it at arm's length in terms of research for so many years because I loved it. It's kind of like you don't want to meet your heroes, you know? Like I never, I would never want to meet Harrison Ford in real life. I'm sure like he's a real monster or something. <laughs> monster, but, like, yeah. I never, but I, <laughs> he like Mom saves people. <laughs> that's what I mean. But it's Mom like, had I him never, on tour, Mac, remember? Mom I know, had him on tour, I'm, so he was I'm, very nice. I joked. I said like, like he's some monster. Oh, I said, it's a joke. I'm just saying is I never wanted to go too deep with this movie, with the original, because I I just, I think I made sense of it in my head, especially a lot of the effects and things. And, and to me, made it this movie that was probably better than it ever should have been uh, in my own head. But, uh, and we'll go into that as we continue. But yeah, I, I, I just love the franchise. I'm really excited to go deep now that looking back after now that I'm just solidified in my love for Evil Dead in general. But I'm excited to get into it today. All right. And last but definitely not least, uh, God bless him. We are recording this uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend. And he'll be working hard all weekend long. And he somehow managed to come in here for what will no doubt be a seven and a half hour podcast before he heads out to the bar tonight. I, and he I, was I, I laughed at Mac. For, oh, only one o'clock. Sure. <laughs> Mind you, it's ten thirty right now. Yeah, so, we already you know, started. Yeah, the hell we're doing good. Vanderbilt, introduce yourself, please. This is Mike <laughs> Vando Cam Vanderbilt. Ah. Uh, and uh, relatively, I was an early adapter to the Evil Dead. I first saw the Evil Dead in the summer of nineteen ninety two. As I read an article in Fangoria about the upcoming release of Army of Darkness, which was supposed to come out in August of 92 instead of getting dumped in February of 93. And I needed to seek out those original films. I'd seen clips of uh, clips from them on the episode of the Incredibly Strange Picture Show, which used to run on Channel 11. And I have this vivid memory of my dad flipping through the channels and I saw the Henrietta sequence on cable tv i was uh, already a fan of dark man but i didn't put it all together that this was all the same guys uh the evil dead was hard to find at this time because i believe it was out of print it was the most mm-hmm. stolen vhs for a long time i think yeah, the think hbo one that that there, i think was around this time right? well the uh village video on western had the old thorn emi hbo uh video clamshell mm-hmm. so my That's friends you know rented it uh and we're immediately hooked. We tracked down Dead by Dawn, couldn't wait for Army of Darkness. And the Evil Dead, you know, it was real. It was still cultish at the time. You didn't see it on TV a lot, maybe occasionally on USA Up All Night. But the Evil Dead was special because it felt like something that was truly ours. Yeah, Me and my friends 100%. really were drawn to that and, you know, that Midwesternness of it, too, which we will talk about later. Yeah, because I wanted to piggyback on that, and that because I, I felt like this really was the like the first horror movie to finally get the genre in terms of just like thinking about the fandom that would surround it. Because I, I, I mean, I think a lot of that was largely in part to, and we'll talk about it, that Bruce Campbell is like a convention staple. Um, but I think also is that like the figurehead was a hero, and so you know, not only was the he the lead hero, and also always at the conventions. I, I just felt like, yeah, you're right, Vanderbilt. It felt like that that movie that. It, it, it kind of was like a cornerstone of the 90s horror fandom for me and that had that punk rock edge and yet it also had that punk rock underground sensibility of being like in the know, you know, with it. Yeah. That to me was a huge part of, I think, why it was such a go-to on Friday night. It was like, it was like we're going to a party almost. Well, when I saw it for the first time, this would have been, uh, I believe it was late, ni- or like summer of 1994, 
we talk about this a lot in these uh, episodes about movies that take place about when we experience them, how old we were, and what years it was. And again, not there's no internet. There's no way for me to find out anything about The Evil Dead. I didn't really... If I ever read Fangoria, it's because I went to like the local Barnes & Noble or something and picked it up and read it. Like I didn't have a subscription to that. didn't have easy access to any of these movies. We didn't have HBO growing up, so we couldn't really see anything unedited. So I knew about The Evil Dead, and I was curious because I loved Briscoe County Jr. That was my first experience with <laughs> Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Even though I had seen Darkman, but like Vanderbilt, I didn't make the connection that, that any of that was connected, that Sam Raimi was involved in anything. And um, so I love Bruce Campbell. I remember seeing a trailer for Army of Darkness when he says groovy. I had no idea that that was part of a series. I just thought it was his own weird medieval zombie movie or something that was going to come out. Like, But a marketing worked on you. Yeah, good, Universal, good job. I'm sure that's why I did so <laughs> well at the box office, too. Yeah. Um, so... That was my curiosity, and then I think around that time I had one of Leonard Maltin's tremendous. We have to do an episode about that. Leonard Maltin used to have these giant books <laughs> that was his movie guide, and it was just thousands of movies in this movie guide on a scale of bomb to four stars. And I think he I might have given this two and a half out of four, but regardless, it, it, it piqued my interest. So when I saw it was going to be on USA, and like you said, Vanderbilt, it was so rare for this to ever be on regular television. It was on late at night, and what I also learned years later was if it was on past midnight, even on USA, you were allowed to show more than you would have been allowed to show if it aired at you know 5 o'clock on a Saturday or even 8 o'clock on a Friday. You're saying so, 94 on USA, though, Justin? Yeah, it was like 94 or something I like think, that, 93, 94. I think I stayed up to watch Friday night. Yeah, we taped I think it. I have a... I have a very strong memory of watching that airing of it. Like I said, it hadn't been on a lot. Maybe that was the debut, but I remember for some reason I decided to tape it. I I didn't watch it live. I taped it, and then we watched it the next night, again, not knowing anything that was going to happen. And even though it's on USA, it's edited. But I'll tell you right now, I mean, it's quite edited compared to the movie. It's still extremely (laughs) upsetting and extremely graphic, even on its own. Um and like everybody here, it left such an impression on me. And I wasn't even thinking about the filmmaking necessarily. I was just thinking about it, it hit me in a way that I think it Blair Witch hit a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Because it was so, and I don't want to sound like I'm being pejorative here, it was so amateur. Everything just kind of seemed to really be happening. It all seemed crazy. And obviously we'll talk about how crazy the filming of the movie was. That kind of stuff sticks with you. And once again, the fact that aside from Bruce Campbell... I, honestly, at the time, I didn't really know other than Bruce, Briscoe County Jr. The fact that we didn't know anybody else in this movie who have relatively gone on to not really do very many popular things, to me, that Linda is real, Scotty is real, <laughs> Shelley's real, Cheryl is real, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, that has an effect on you when, you, when they don't go on to become, you know, Helen Hunt or, you know, Michael Bean or something like that. Like that, that to me, like those people went to that cabin got possessed and died still, you know, almost 30 and years later. That's how I feel about it. That transgressive um, quality. It makes it yeah. special. And it's, and I just to lead off. We've done this is our fifth series. And I was actually thinking about the history of, of horror franchises. And I would argue that this is the only franchise to me that has two excellent movies. Um, there's other franchises, obviously that have, a great movie and a very good movie or a couple of very good movies or a bunch of very good. But to me, this is the only one that has like two great 
uh, great movies. So I'm looking for. I'm definitely looking forward to talking about this series as, well, as we I, go on. I, I would point you to uh, in 2019 when we did a franchise uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> those are sef- well, second well, the, season. Well, um, the remake doesn't count. Yeah, well, the remake. Did, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, like that's where I go. You know, eighty-four Elm Street, and then also twenty ten, and then Dream Warriors. Um, but uh, no, I'm 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 on an island with Dream Warriors when I say it's the best one of the franchise. No, you're not. I, I think like, a lot of people feel like that's the best. I'm not, I know I'm not. I know it's, I'm not. I'm just being one. sarcastic. But oh, it's, yeah. very un, it's, it's very like, underrated. Hot take. Very Dream underrated. Is actually, pretty good. Robin. Yeah, yeah. But I I will say with uh, I think that that sort of cult sensibility. It's so easy to forget nowadays because it's just mm-hmm. horror is so ubiquitous. And and I and I know I sound like I'm gonna sound like such a gatekeeper when I say this, but like I do pine for the days when it wasn't just like I couldn't get an action figure for everything. Like they like I was laughing the other day that like Trick or Treat Studios announced, like, oh, we're gonna be doing action figures for Haunt and Children of the Corn 84. And I was like, Haunt. We have we have <laughs> wow. I, I was like, all right, we have we have reached like peak core <laughs> at this point. I, I like, I vividly remember when, like I, I used to frequent moviemaniacs.net, which is actually funny because Brad Miska from Bloody Disgusting used to frequent there too. And that was my play, my go-to place to hang out before I met, you know, like Mac and Caffrey and everyone to talk about this stuff. And I remember getting uh, temporarily banned on there because I, everyone was complaining about the Ash figure that uh, Mark Farland had issued. And I said, guys, like we're lucky to get a fucking figure in general. Like, come on. Like, it's not. It's a pretty good figure, and you know, I think you guys are being a little dismissive. And everyone went nuts with me for saying that. But at the time, like, even but I you realized got banned for being positive. Wow, that, that well, sounds. No. That does not sound like the horror community. Yeah, it was. Yeah. A, it was. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. But I, I just was. I remember even being self aware at the time of how special it was. Because you you really it was so rare to find things. I mean, like I always bring up the the shot glass for Halloween. I didn't even I was twelve or thirteen years old, and because there wasn't that much merchandise out there, I was like, I got to get this Halloween shot glass. Like, there's yeah. you know, and, and honestly, that's, it's only until recently where I've looked at Evil Dead merchandise and not just been totally blown away. Because anytime there was any Evil Dead merchandise that I would come upon in the '90s or early aughts, it was just this. Oh my God, have you seen the shirt? You know, yeah. it was just it's cool. Well, it's, it's like when they now. came out. It's like when they came out with the with the what was it the the new DVD covers or was it VHS mm-hmm. covers? It was DVD, yeah. yeah. And it was like you know Bruce Campbell with a bunch of people that weren't in the movie, but I, it was like oh I've got to buy all three of these <laughs> just because yep. there's nothing else out there, you know. Yeah. Like you just yeah. had to get your hands on whatever. Yeah, it's, it was true finds. Well, just made you appreciate the genre so much more, you know? And, (sighs) you know, know. I have to say, I love horror and I love horror movies. And I'm not sure about the the rest of you. You say you're a horror head? You know, (laughs) some people have accused me of worse, but I will take that compliment. (laughs) 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 Well, we should probably talk a little bit about this movie that we love so much. But before we get to the movie that we love so much, for once in this next goddamn segment, we actually do have news to discuss. (laughs) So often it's been like, well, no news on the Freddy front. No news on the Jason front. We've and then you know, oh well, we've got a poster for Scream, but we got a lot of news to talk about for the Evil Dead. So uh, what can I say? But uh, all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a twelve gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. All right, so two. Not just one, but two major items of news to get to. The first off, we are getting a new Evil Dead movie. And Sam Raimi 
will not be uh, directing this one. Bruce Campbell will not be starring in it as Ash, but they are both heavily involved as producers on the film titled Evil Dead Rise. So I've got a lot of information from the press release that was put out last year, um, most notably on Variety magazine. It's, 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 I love that Variety had a huge feature on an Evil Dead movie, by the way. It's pretty amazing <laughs> to think about where this franchise has gone in the last 40 years. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Mm. All right, so they say the, the next chapter in the saga builds off the original trilogy rather than the 2013 reboot and moves the action out of the woods and into the city. The twisted tale centers on two estranged sisters portrayed by Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan. Say that 20 times fast. Oh, my God. Whose reunion is cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of family imaginable. Filmmaker Lee Cronin, who directed The Hole in the Ground, was handpicked by Ramey and Campbell to write and direct Evil Dead Rise. I'm thrilled to bring Evil Dead back to its original home at New Line 40 years after the release of the first film, Ramey said in a statement. The company's history as pioneers of horror speaks for itself. I'm equally excited to be working with Lee Cronin, whose gifts as a storyteller make him the ideal filmmaker to continue the enduring legacy of the franchise. Campbell added, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Campbell added... <laughs> I, was, I believe that. I believe that. Campbell added, at its core, Evil Dead is about ordinary people overcoming extraordinary, terrifying situations. I can't wait for Alyssa and Lily to fill the blood-soaked shoes of those who have come before them and carry on that tradition. Evil Dead Rise, much like the TV series Ash vs. Evil Dead, by the way, filmed in New Zealand. And as Strange. of right now, uh, we we're recording this on March 12th. We don't know when this film's coming out. Cronin also went on to say, Evil Dead movies filled my brain. I, ca- I, cannot, but I cannot do a good New Zealand accent. It becomes every other non-American accent as I go through. So I'm just going to say it like a, like a Justin would. Crikey. The, yeah, crikey. The evil well, he's, he's, he's an Irish film writer. Oh, yeah, so he's Irish, but they he's Irish. Here, let me, let me handle that. Oh. Okay, yes. The Irish Mike oh, Vanderbilt. Brother. Please read this. Uh, well, go ahead. Shishai, 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 evil dead Irish. Oh, Conal Cochran. generation, but we're going to go New generation, shishai. And here's something I also discovered. That because you know what I love about those first few movies, especially, is that they're you know listen, they use film. You know what I'm talking about I'm talking about the big equipment that you yeah, that wreck Cellular around there. Film you can you can you can you can take it out of the of the stock and, and you got to cut it and edit it like like you know like the old, like Marty Scorsese would do. You know, while this is not shot on actual film stock, it is shot using the Alexa LF camera that was used. Not be dismayed. Was used on Dune. Ford versus Ferrari, Stranger Things season three, Ava DuVernay's When They See Us, The Mandalorian, and the recent The Invisible Man. So what I'm trying to say is, if you were concerned that this was going to look like that recent Critters movie that was on Sci-Fi Channel, it's not. It's going to look like a professionally made movie, at least, (laughs) which is what I was also kind of like, oh, please don't make this look like a cheapy movie by any means. So any any thoughts? We'll get into like the history of Lee Cronin and, and everything else when this movie actually comes out when we cover it. But how? What's everybody's temperature right now? Uh, so Mike Roffin, how are you feeling about this so far? What do you think? You know, I don't know. It's it's strange. I, I I'm excited because it's just Evil Dead, and there really isn't an entry in this entire franchise that I I really look down upon. It, it's weird because you know Ash vs Evil Dead was such a roller coaster. Uh, 
and I enjoyed it so much. And I felt like they explored literally everything they possibly could, even until they got to the ending, you know, polarizing ending for some fans. But, you know, to where they even got to that ending, you're like, okay, well, I guess you could explore that. But to go back to like kind of the, the current, you know, era now, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm very interested to see what they're going to do to make this zag as opposed to Zig, you know, where we're like, oh, yeah, well, that, this is expected. Because right now, this sounds like Demons 2. You know, oh, the, yeah. the synopsis sounds like Demons 2. So I don't really know what they're going to do to distinguish this and also make it feel like an Evil Dead movie. Of course, I said the same thing when the remake <laughs> was made in 2013, and I really liked the remake. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm kind of neutral at this point, you know? Um, I think for me, at least... They're getting out of that cabin. If it was a cabin again with with a new set of kids who are no, kind of I, I don't want a cabin. For the original. Yeah. No, so I do kind of appreciate that they are. It looks like I mean, it, they are trying something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm curious to, to to see if they do make any direct references to anything that happened in the earlier movies. But I don't think you even have well, to. I think if you got the Book of the Dead, do whatever you want to do. Well, you, you know? do it subtly, you know. Like yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it with the sequels, but like every sequel has references to its predecessors even 2013's evil dead has connections to the original one to the delta and even how the book looks because you know technically it looks exactly like how the book does in season one of ash versus evil dead so i mean there's there's a lot of interesting connections that they're i'm sure they're gonna have it in this because if they don't then i'm actually kind of disappointed it's like usually i'm so against easter eggs but like with this franchise the easter eggs are the connective tissue most of the time so like i kind of need that i kind of want that a little bit you know just a little bit just like you know I guess I have a couple of questions and I'm positing what I think it might be is like, if it's connected to the original trilogy, which is what they said, right. And they didn't mention the show. If, if that's the case, is it going to be more like comedy driven or are they trying to go back to the roots of the first one and be more horror? Uh, I didn't see what was a hole in the ground. Um, so I don't know why they saw that or why they pick handpicked this guy to direct, but you can go many ways with it. I, what I hope is like they, the two sisters find in like the garage of the, of the high rise, the Delta yeah, the books in the trunk. And then that way you can bring the Delta in still. And then they, and then maybe, Ash used to live there or something. <laughs> disappeared again. Or so I don't know. Maybe like if they're going to connect it, connect it. He doesn't have to be in it at this point. You know yeah. what I mean? But like you could still bring in those other elements. It'd be cool to see them like steal the Delta or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Like just bring in some of those elements. And if it's going to be funny or maybe make it more like diehard, right? Like, so maybe the high rise is like practically emptied out for some reason. And it's just them in it with like five of the people that become deadites or something like that might, that's interesting. That's a little different from demons, you know what I mean? So I don't know, but I, I I'm I'm looking forward to it because there's really no reason to not look forward to it. You know, there's not there's nothing out there where I'm like, oh no, it's just a lot of unknown factor. So I I'm 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 definitely excited. Yeah, Vanderbilt, what's your temperature at right now? We'll see. I don't. Mm-hmm. This is a series of films, particularly those first three, that I I maybe am a little bit more protective of than a lot of the other junk out there. I. I'm not a big fan of the remake. Maybe I'm, you know, putting too much out there. We'll talk about that in another episode. And I really didn't like Ash vs. Evil Dead either. And, you know, we'll reveal this later in this episode, but I think the first Evil Dead is my favorite of the trilogy. So, to Max's point about is it going to be scary, 
is it going to be comedic? Well, I think the first one, as terrifying as this original film is, is very funny in its own way. Mm. And it's because of that manic energy that Sam Raimi and the gang bring. So I think, and I think that's a big thing that was missing from the remake. So if it's going to be part of that original series, I think as long as it has that manic uh, Sam Raimi kind of Joe Dante-ish, just wild energy to it, then it should be entertaining. Will they Mm -hmm. do that? I don't know. It seems like a lot of this guy, I don't know. I have to find read more about this guy, but I don't know if he's a horror fan, like he grew up a horror fan, but I think part of what makes the Evil Dead movie special is that Sam Raimi and the guys are not horror fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big problem in a lot of horror, particularly independent horror cinema these days, where it's these fans who come out and just want to keep kind of throwing back to the childhood and stuff they grew up with. I think it's more interesting when people who aren't into horror movies make horror. They put their own stamp on it, and it does seem like it's their own stamp. It's not I mean, just a bunch of it's not just a bunch of characters named Carpenter and Wes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> true. Hey, it's true. Hey. Going down Cunningham Road, <laughs> you know. Look, it was great when Fred Decker did it in Night of the Creeps, and it's slowly <laughs> over over the years has become less and less, uh, you know, memorable as it keeps getting done. Yeah, we'll I mean, see. if they if they want to allude directly to like like Rothman said, if they're like pursing through the, ne- the Necronomicon and they see a picture of Ash with the chainsaw raised. I, I, I expect for that to happen. It should be there. see what else they do. If it's connecting yeah. to the original series. That's not, an, yeah. that's not an e- like, There's a thin line between Easter eggs and saying, like, this is something that happened in this universe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean... Know, I, I was thinking about this, too, and this leads back all the way to our first season, um, the namesake episodes, Halloween. And it's it's also it's like real life in a lot of ways. It's like it's always about the chase, right? Like right now we're just we don't know anything. We don't know if we yeah. should be excited, we don't know if we should be upset, we don't know how this is gonna end, but because it's evil dead, maybe, just maybe. You know, we'll see what happens. Looking forward to a trailer. Totally looking forward to a trailer. And it's not like this is Evil Dead thirty, or this is like the seventeenth reboot of Evil Dead, or they're dismissing three, but they're acknowledging two, you know, it's just kinda like Let's see what happens. This could be anything. I'm not that protective over what it could be. All I ask for is that it be, you know, good. (laughs) Well, I I also think that they kind of look at these as almost um, like a graduation process in a way. Mm. Uh, You know, because with Fetty Alvarez coming in and doing the remake, it it really did kind of start like, I mean, it was 2013. So it was like the beginning of that decade. That feels like it was 15 years ago. I know. It does feel like a very long time ago. But... um, I do feel like that was like a way of being like, all right, here's a mind that we really like that we that we're, that we're going to try to mold and kind of kick out there. And then he goes and does Don't Breathe, which I thought was fucking great. But I love Don't Breathe. I, I, awesome. I feel like awesome I feel like he, I feel like he's kind of gone down the Robert Rodriguez route where he didn't really do as many after that because he did the Girl of the Dragon Tattoo or sequel, and it was like, all right, well, not that's good it. At all. It's not good. But like the thing is, is that I do think that this is they're almost seeing as the, the Evil Dead is the way that it was for them where it was that kind of tip-off point for Sam Raimi and for the talent that was involved in that. And then maybe they saw something with Lee Cronin. I mean, he, you know, Hole in the Ground is a supernatural horror film, so they probably saw something there that was like, all right, this guy's imaginative. It could keep the brand, you know, the brand alive, maybe take it in a direction that you know we didn't do. Because, I mean, if you think about it in hindsight also, Ash vs. Evil Dead really did derail the plans for what that re- reboot was supposed to be in 2013. Like, you know, even it, as early as the premiere of that movie, like, you know, Vitty Alvarez had mentioned, like, oh, there's plans for Evil Dead 2, which is why everyone was, you know, waiting around for when Mia is going to come back. But 
I, I think Asher's Evil Dead put the you know the kibosh on that for for good reasons because it brought back everything original in that series, which obviously you all will dissect later on this year. But I think this is almost like their way of creating an institution while also you know continuing the brand and whether where this direction it goes like it's going to be interesting i think it's going to be a little more horror i don't think it's going to have many comedic elements just because you're dealing with a lot of things like you know uh like motherhood <laughs> like there's a that, that's like a theme in the synopsis so it's like i don't know it, it, they could kind of go a fun punchy way but i i have a feeling it's going to be a little more like of a gut punch than anything so we'll see, that's my yeah. prediction did you see that great i think creepy duck design did like some great artwork for this not knowing anything about the movie, it's the elevator shaft. It's the elevator doors opening up, but the elevator doors are the Necronomicon. So cool! It looks really great, and Lee Cronin commented on it and said uh, that looks awesome. Something else that just happened a couple days ago, though, they did picture lock on this, so the movie has now been edited, and all they're going to do now is you know add sound design and and score on top of it. I mean, didn't Brock, somebody say talked- it was two and a half hours long though? According to that picture. I saw that too. I think it's definitely going to be chiseled down. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that. I saw that and I was like, "What was it? Three hours long?" I was like, "This isn't the Batman, okay?" You know, that you might include God knows what they include. I was going to say that's par for the course these days. So to him have movies be too fucking long. Well, I'll tell you right now, if this movie's longer than ninety minutes, good luck. Yep. Good luck. I think they've got a final product, but right. I definitely think it's going to still be edited down, right? Did oh, that yeah, say I, two hours and thirty minutes, or did that just say two thirty? That could just be a, a mark of something else. It, that's what I, that's my feeling. I thought maybe it was just a mark. He said picture lock. Seemed, picture lock means that's a wrap. Yeah, All but we're that doing seems incredible. Like the runtime, two hours and thirty minutes. There's no minutes. way. I don't There's think it's no the only that picture only is not two hours and thirty minutes. That merits a two hour and thirty minute runtime is Conjuring Two. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, nice. But Absolutely, I love nice. it. That should have been at least three hours, to be honest. It should have been at least as long as the Batman, yeah. two hours, 55 minutes. Well, throw in a couple um, more Elvis songs, and there you go. Well, I'm curious. Uh, that's the interesting thing about this is that every time we start a season, we know the order we're going to go in from the very, very beginning because we know the release date. This movie could come out in May. It could come out in December. And God help us all if they're like March of next year or something <laughs> like that because they're really screwed. I guess we'd have to figure out something for at least we'd have two movies to do next year. We'd have to scream and Evil Dead to do next year. We but do, uh, well, we can fill in with Crime Wave or Thou Shalt Not Kill Except. Oh, I'll tell you right now, we ain't we ain't doing Crime Wave. <laughs> no, you'll be great though. Baseball's back, so I think for April we, we do For Love of the Game, directed yeah. by Sam Raimi. <laughs> oh yeah, the Delta is in that movie, by the way. That's so, true. Well, you know, we uh, could uh, sprinkle in Raimi films if we need to pad. You know what? Season out. Knock on wood. It, we don't in, have to worry next about year. that. <laughs> Knock yeah, on you wood. You do the gift. Which is a real fun movie. At, um, when um when for the love of the game came out, I was dating this girl who liked baseball a lot more than I did, and she was surprised I wanted to go see it. It didn't look like my kind of movie. I'm like, yeah, but Sam Raimi directed, it, and she just rolled her eyes. There is a scene like, where I he almost—it's a great movie. A, there is a scene where he cut, like almost cuts his hand off, and I was like, he's gonna put a chainsaw. He's gonna, he's there, gonna pitch right? with one hand like Jim <laughs> Abbott did. <laughs> What if he uh, just drill, he drilled on a, a glove and and like everyone else in the audience that isn't an Evil Dead fan is just like man this Cosner man this is really fucking weird disgu- like they're like really quick cuts too you know yeah, yeah. Um, I'll never pitch again so <laughs> something very important that we've got to mention here though is that this will be theatrically released in many international markets but it is going straight to HBO Max here in the United States of America so yeah. I do wonder. You would hope that they would be like, well, we'll we're going to show it on some random inter- like 
maybe at the music box theater in Chicago. You would hope that they would get something like that there. Mm. But let me me look, let me look into that. I I will say how many, I cannot think of many movies of a certain budget that have gone straight to HBO max. I'm not talking about the day and date. I'm saying that were specifically made and they're like, we're going to take this and put it straight on HBO max. Can you think of many? Well, I don't think by you know design, but Halloween Kills certainly. Uh, yeah, got but that, that's what I'm on, saying. That was supposed to be. That was in, in the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was never like we're going to put this on Peacock in a year. Well, Texas you know Chainsaw I mean? Massacre really kind of fit. Well, that, that one. was supposed to be uh, in theaters, and then they were like, "No, somebody take this," and they yeah. dumped it on Netflix. Get rid of it. Get out of here. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see what ends up happening with the release there. Yeah. But hey, listen, there's a second bit of news. And now I have to recuse myself from this because, as I've mentioned many times, I don't think I've played a video game since NFL Blitz, like 1999 <laughs> or something like that. So ridiculous. But Just Mike Rothman, I know you've got a lot of information. So break this down in a way. You know what? I would treat this like you would treat uh, scream, Five Cream. You know, you want to break it down in a way where the layman like myself can understand what's going on, but you don't want to bore the people who have been playing video games <laughs> for the last 40 years. So I, I leave it to you, Mike Rothman, please. Okay. Tell us about the new Evil Dead video game. All right. Well, we've had a, a bunch of Evil Dead games in the past, but this, let's just say this is the real one. This is the ultimate. Uh, it's Evil Dead the game. It's definitive as possible. No Hail to the King, you know, no other subtitle. This is the definitive game, and it really is the definitive game because it's, uh, it's coming out May 13th, 2022, uh, this year. So... This is the year of Evil Dead. We really did kind of pick the right franchise, I feel. But uh, it's uh, coming from Saber Interactive and also Boss Team Games. And um, they're teasing that you're going to be able to command Vicious Deadites and you're going to be able to be survivors too. So it's going to have this sort of, um, you know, you're basically going to be able to do like co-op. Do you know what co-op is, Justin? Where you can kind of... Okay, well, that's where you can play online. That's something you do like if 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 you're backpacking through Europe. And you stay at a co-op? Is that what that is? Yeah, no, no, well, close enough. But backpacking is when you log online and you can play with another uh, player. Like I've done that. I've played co-op games with Mac before when we played Star Wars. I think uh, in the past. But That's right. um, then you could also have a single-player game. Do you know a single-player game? It's like when you had um, you That's know when you Atari. Just have, you're just by yourself playing. Yes, yeah. When you you know back in your day when you had Atari and um, also the Ball and Cup. <laughs> Um, that's a single player game. Um, I only know about two girls, one cup. Nothing. Yeah, that is true. All right. Well, okay. that's as gross Listen, as Evil look, Dead. We're doing Evil Dead. This is gonna be a lot of gross material here, fitting. folks. You think that's bad? Yeah, you think that's yeah, bad. Uh, but the real, bad. the real hook of this though is that. I mean, when I said everyone is involved, everyone is involved. And Bruce Campbell is voicing like four different versions of Ash, which is going to be including Evil Ash. Um, and then Betsy Baker's back is Linda. Yeah, Teresa Tilly is Shelley. Uh, Ellen Sandwise's Cheryl Williams is also going to be back uh, and a playable character. All these are pretty much playable characters. Marcus Gilbert, who played Arthur from Aria of Darkness, is going to be in Crazy. it. Richard Domanicor, uh is going to be Scotty. He's coming back again. And then on top of that, you get Ray Santiago and Dana DiLorenzo of uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead also coming back. And it's fucking crazy. I mean, they're going to have like Henrietta that's in there, mm-hmm. Evil Ash, Henry the Red from Army of Darkness is going to be in it. I was going like, to say, yeah, it's did Richard wild. Grove come back to do a voice? Because I saw him in the trailer, you know, they, I saw Henry the Red in the trailer and I really was like, whoa, they're really going deep with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when and given the fact that a lot of these co-op games where they feature like different levels and kind of survival modes they're so amenable to just add-ons and packs and packages and packs justin are like when you um 
you know, uh, you know, I can't think of a comp for this, but it's just, you know, you, you download an update, basically. It's like an update. Okay. It's like when you get, you like know, like AOL 2.7. Yeah. And like, um, and like your icons uh, being three-dimensional, they, they become flat. Yeah, it's like when Mac's like, update to OS and ruin your life. Um, But uh, (laughs) so it's like that. And I feel like we're going to be getting far more. I mean, they're even including, I think, I want to say they're even including like other minor characters from Ash vs. Evil that the the show. So like it's, this is something that's just going to keep on going and keep on going. I wouldn't be surprised if like Evil Dead Rise got something. I know that they'll probably add Mia from the uh, the remake also so I, I i'm i don't know it's it's but, fucking uh, awesome i can't wait like yeah i have a question for you. so somebody who i i didn't play it but i loved watching people play the friday the 13th game yeah. is, it, is it similar to that kind of build out yes yeah okay. yeah and it's similar it to that similar. sort of labor of love where like there are so many easter eggs like i having talked to the the boss team games uh, folks like they all come at this with like the, the fan first where they know that like these are the th- we are going to drill as much as we can into making this like the definitive franchise IP game. So uh, I don't know. It's really exciting. I mean, it's this is one of two confirmed horror titles. I don't know if Texas Chainsaw Massacre is coming out this year, but that's another one. But it's you know, like I said, horror is ubiquitous as ever, and the fact that we're getting this right now, Evil Dead, I guess, isn't so surprising because Bruce Campbell did come back for Hill of the King, which I'm sure we'll talk about that like later on this year. Well, but, I think we're gonna have a whole episode on all the video games. Yeah, we're gonna have year. to because there's a lot, and that was the only way for a while that Evil Dead was continuing. Yeah, from, you know, beyond comics. So I this this is what I'm more excited, most excited about this year, I, even over the movie. I, I cannot wait for this. I'm going to be playing this for hours and hours. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have Patreon nights where we go and work. You know, if their that patrons are out there, we could play with them online. It would, you know, it, I hear people go on this thing called Twitch and they do a lot of that. They'll play video games. Yeah, and, you uh, can just hear me like. Along. I'll just do all the dumb lines, you know, like, whoa, groovy, hail to the king, baby. And, I, and I'll just you know? sit, it'll be me and one of the squares like watching you guys play. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should just, I mean, I remember you watching like the Friday the 13th game. I did. Like I love that things. stuff though. Yeah. Cause it was so great to see all that. But so Mac, what stood out to you from the trailer? You said, you know, you heard Eric the Red and whatnot. What stood out to you from the, the video game? Oh, just the idea of like being able to play evil Ash. Yeah. <laughs> around and kill you. But it, like to what you were saying, doesn't it? It does look a lot like it, in the labor of love of the, of the Friday the 13th game, which I played a lot with Mike as well. That is really fun. I, I'm looking at this now. What I really want, not on the Switch yet. <laughs> it's not on the Switch. Oh, okay. I want it to go Switch, baby. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, Switch. I, otherwise, I'm going to have to go buy a PS5. <laughs> Well, that's how no, they get it, you. No, it's uh, confirmed now. It is. It's, it is. Conf- I just saw. It's actually. It's going to be on uh, Switch, PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five, Xbox One. So you're good, Mac. You oh, are good, baby. Okay, yeah, all right. You're well, good. Get, update. Update that that website, folks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> just, I was going to like pre-order it right now. I'm forgetting <laughs> to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I I am really looking forward to it. I, I think just the, the versatility, just like uh, that, it's spanning everything, mm-hmm. uh, and that would just be yeah. fun, you know. But yeah, Mike and I will be the ones playing like King Arthur and Eric the Red. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Vanderbilt, you know you're going to talk about this. But Vanderbilt, are you Scotty. are you really a gamer? Oh no, I bought a <laughs> I bought a PlayStation Three because it had the Blu-ray player. Yeah, that's what I would have probably done, too. And know. my brother's a gamer, so I said, well, why not get... It was actually the best Blu-ray player in the market. And I said, well, why not get the one that plays video games, too? And my brother's a gamer. So he bought me a couple games, and I tried playing those. And then you could play an old PlayStation games, so I tried playing, like, Dark Forces and all that, which I used to love on the PC. And I just... 
I can't get into it. Because then I tried Battlefront. I was going to buy a PlayStation because of Battlefront, because I thought That's it was so it cool. For. Because yeah. as a kid, that would have been the Star Wars game to end all Star Wars games. Uh, and then I tried playing it. Well, I, well, I tried <laughs> playing it at a friend's house, and I was all literally all thumbs with all the buttons on a remote and had no idea what to do. The thing is, though, with something like the Evil Dead game or even that Friday the 13th game, I see it and it looks fun. Yeah, but I'm afraid I would just get so frustrated with it so quickly. Well, you know what? I, I think this would be the best content or the worst content. It would be the videotape. Videotape. Once again, how old as fuck I am. It would be the stream <laughs> Vanderbilt and I playing this, these games. But like with with Mac and Mike Rothman trying to, to guide us oh. through. Like, oh, you got a middle finger under the button. And no, then you what, what are you doing? You're turning it off. This actually you turned off the system. This actually might be very good. I think you I got to save it. No, it's L2 and A at the same oh, time. My head, I already you're you're going to keep hitting the this. center button and going back to the PS4 menu. Like, like <laughs> what are you doing? Get, 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 Why are you taking screenshots? Keep moving forward. Why are there two directional pads on this yeah. fucking thing? How many uh, times do we have to talk to this this wizard on the hill asking for coins or something like that? I am error. Don't look down. Go forward. Don't look down. It would just be me. It would be Ash with his head bent and like just swooping back and forth with his arms. Like that would be the whole like no, you gotta move. Don't move your arms. Le- legs, legs. The funniest thing would be so the original Halo the King game, they dedicated a whole button just to his one liners. Um, which got old after about twenty minutes because he you know oh, you went through I, all of them. Like the mask I just, to me though. I yeah, but, keep hitting that over and over. But again. I just imagine you just sitting there with your head down, swooping it with just doing like groovy, hail to the hail to the yo, groovy. It's like this so, is my boomstick. I don't know this if I brought this up. Bumstack. I don't know if I brought this up before, but this reminds me of there used to be <laughs> there used to be an interactive uh, video thing at uh, at Epcot at, at Walt Disney. That's of, right. Um, yeah. There's the live action Alice in Wonderland. Okay. <laughs> So it was a show on Disney Channel back in the day. And what we would do is Justin and I would go into this room and it would be like, you know, you'd watch like a little like two minute video. And then all of a sudden there something would happen and you'd have to like prompt the characters to either go left or right. And so they'd be like, which way do we go? And then like live, it's still live kind of, you know, like the, the video. And this is them like kind of like waiting until you press the button. And they're just kind of making all these gestures and waiting and concerned faces. And then finally, like they, this would happen three times. If you didn't press the button, they would prompt you like three times, like, come on, we're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and we would just never press the button. Just stare at it and laugh like assholes. Oh my uh, god! I'm just imagining. Time. I'm not imagining that spot in Epcot now has just like rust all over it, and it but it's still there. Like, uh, and they have like maybe like um, like stickers that were from like that era that are also kind of run worn down. Well, you like, know, I it's feel- funny. It's actually it's in Epcot still. Oh lord! But, yeah, of course. but it's like it's like the it's like what they do with the rundown like water parks. Like it's like overgrown, but it's like in the middle of uh. Epcot for some reason. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just let it. People sneak in and, is, and take pictures from YouTube. Bizarre. <laughs> people, God. no, it's like those YouTube videos of people sneaking into all yeah. the. You sneak into like this this fifteen by twenty foot attraction that's been closed down and, and taking pictures inside. Waiting. Oh boy. Oh, look, we're Cheshire Cat's still there. Waiting. Well, I'm happy to say that we're almost done with the episode. <laughs> yeah. So we're able to go off on these tangents. Just kidding. Are any? When is this game coming out? This game's coming out fairly soon, May, isn't it? May thirteenth. Uh, so yeah, get there. Can I, can I rent the PlayStation Five from a video store like you, have to, you used to have to do with the, the Super Nintendo? Just because oh, yeah, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I mean, how that. much you is could... a PlayStation Five these days? I gotta go oh, on Kazaa and download this, right? <laughs> can Kazaa. I play it on my computer? 
You can. You can get a Microsoft Windows uh, if you oh still have that. Oh, my God. But you know? use, like, the arrow keys up down? I know. Like, like, like well, the guy oh, I was good at that, though. I was, I was good at that on Doom. I could use those arrow keys like nobody's business. Spacebar to shoot. See, that I have a little bit of gamer in me. I was pretty okay in the I 90s. I think that's what made me be an impatient person was me playing video games when I was younger. That's what really... You know what's funny is uh, the next Friday 13th is May 13th. Oh, wow. So that'll be a big day for us, actually. So, um, yeah. Do something special. Yeah. Maybe well, we should, maybe we'll do a Friday 13th uh, thing that we did. What, what, didn't we do something like that? For, we, did, we did. We watched two together, right? Yeah. We got one yeah. together then. Yeah. It was oh. fun times. And there will be fun times again. You guys, you know, it's been nicer lately. And in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row. And I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up. And so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like calorie smart, protein plus, keto. Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BADMOVIES50 at FactorMeals.com slash BADMOVIES50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, so like I said, folks, a lot of news, but it is time to go back in time. And what better place to kind of cozy on up and discuss the history of the Evil Dead and take a little venture through the little living room area into uh, Professor Noby's study. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. It was written long ago, and the seas ran red with blood. It was this blood that was used to ink the book. Well, the road to 1981-1982-1983's <laughs> Evil Dead was not easy one. The production didn't just consist of a group of relative amateurs showing up to the woods one weekend to shoot a movie on a shoestring budget, although I'm certain that there are actually some shoestrings out there that cost more to make and purchase than this movie actually ended up costing to make. No, we got to go all the way back to when the people involved with, with this were much younger. So Mike Rothman, you want to talk to us a little bit about the history of of Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and even Robert Tappert's relationship to one another. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's charming. It really does read a lot like a band bio. Uh, when, you know, you read, I mean, especially like you read like trouble boys, the the replacements, it's so weird how similar a lot of this was. So like, um, you know, you have to go to, 
the Midwest, baby. Mm-hmm. You got to go specifically to a place called Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, and or Birmingham, Michigan, basically around that area, because uh, you got Birmingham is bordered by like Bloomfield uh, Hills on the northwest. Then you got Royal Oak on the southeast, and um, you got the Bloomfield Charter Township on the west and the north, the Southfield Township on the south, and Troy on the northeast. And that area is rainy in Michigan. Territory. Don't you, it's Michigan? No, is it Michigan where you do the mitten? Where you I, can tell, where are you from? I think ah. so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, it's kind of crazy because Ramey and Campbell, uh, they are both from uh, Royal Oak and they were born at the same hospital, actually, a year apart. Happy birthday. Yeah. How about that? But <laughs> the, 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 pro- the process by, by which they kind of all met was that like Spiegel and Campbell knew each other from junior high. Uh, Scott Spiegel, right? Yeah, Scott Spiegel. Yeah, sorry, yeah. And so basically everything really came to fruition at the uh, high school, which was Wiley E. Groves High. And it's, it's wait, kind wait, of fun. Like it's, Wiley Coyote? Yes, it's called Wiley E. Groves High. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I love about this is that you can tell that a lot of this came from the sense that like of their surroundings. Like if you look at like in If Chins Could Kill, like Bruce talks uh, great lengths about the neighborhood. I'm going to read a couple of quotes because I just think you get a really good idea of why they would go out there and want to make movies and stuff. You know, he, he basically talks about his own upbringing. He says, with street names like Braymore, Idlewild, and Daramore, you'd think you were in rural Scotland. Most of the traditional ranch-style homes weren't all that big, but they had land around them. The best part of all is that there were virtually no fences. This was long before the planned communities of today with guard gates, motion-sensitive lighting, and neighborhood watches. Our house was surrounded by woods on two sides. Behind us, a buffer zone of trees shielded our view from other neighbors, and just outside my bedroom window was our beloved forest. There was nothing more pleasing than to wake up and look out upon my own exclusive playground. It, it's really funny because you, you, you look at, like, when you read about Campbell's upbringing, it, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, like, he talks about how even to, like, to keep our blessed woods free from development, Don, who's his brother, and I would rip up any for sale sign in the vicinity and toss it into a stream. It worked for a while, but we couldn't stop the real estate ads in the paper. One fateful day, the lot next to our house was sold. So you get the sense that, like, they're outdoor kids, you know, and they all really want to go out and, and, and make some stuff and, and, you know, put things together. And he talks about why Michi- like the kids in Michigan were obsessed with film. Um, he says, you know, he jokes around saying, like, Michigan is surrounded by the largest supply of fresh water in the world, hence the nickname the Great Lakes State. But there must have been something more to the water of southeastern Michigan, something that caused half a dozen young men to throw caution to the wind and pursue the film business. Because you look at everyone that would make up their first uh, group, which actually was Metropolitan Film Group. It was before Renaissance pictures came into fruition. It was Metropolitan Film Group, which they formed in high school, uh, which is just around the time that they started uh, you know, making their own student films. They all come from a background in film where they looked at, they, have, they all have origins, basically. And it's, it's kind of cool for, you know, when you look at uh, Josh Becker or John Cameron, Sam Raimi, uh, Scott Spiegel and Bruce Campbell, who really were instrumental in creating that metropolitan film group um, that would you know go on to basically you know want to get into this medium they all they all have really interesting origins so for Sam Raimi, he was really into film after watching the opening disclaimer for Fantastic Voyage. And he was also really obsessed with, uh, you know, his father's own um, 16 millimeter videos that he would make at his birthday parties because Campbell talks about how when Sam saw the footage projected, it all began to make sense. 
Sam said to, to Bruce, it was like, just to see yourself and your friends in a movie, which with had formerly been reserved for that frightening, intense experience in the theater, suddenly you feel like you could be a part of it. That was a heavy experience. And Ramey also credited like the Walt Disney live action films of the mid 60s with Stanley Robinson, Flubber. You could just tell that like he was really enamored by, by the medium. It's funny because Flubber, you can see Flubber in most of his work. Honestly. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. I'm not, that sounds like it would be being sarcastic, but I'm actually being very <laughs> serious right now. No, you I can know. Definitely I definitely see it. Yeah, yeah. It totally makes sense. That yeah. madcap uh, style. Oh, with yeah. The, with the suave leading man. Yeah. So, so, so Sam and Bruce, you know, formally met at a drama class at Wiley E. Gross High School. And I, and I kind of love the, the meet cute with him. He talks about like, yeah, I used to see, uh, <laughs> so dismissive. It's like, yeah, I used to see, you know, Sam dressed up as Sherlock Holmes playing with dolls in the hallway and I'd, you know, <laughs> I'd walk by him. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, so Sam was, and they were, yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, I, I think, um, you know, everyone had their own little toys that they brought to the table and together they kind of formed this group to kind of make their own movies. And it's so cool. I love it. To that, like, to that quote, Mike, it's funny because it, I don't know if that is a very Midwestern thing or if it's just a boys being boys thing, but that constant shit talking about each other mm-hmm. that lasts until today, because on the Evil Dead commentaries, the one with Rob Tapered and Sam Raimi is just, you know, fucking making fun of Bruce Campbell the whole time. And Bruce Campbell's is just talking shit about Sam Raimi the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they all just about- love to rub because they're all they're all it's just it's like a ragtag group of friends. And like that, I think that comes across in the movies they made, too, especially the shorts that they made at this time. Yeah, I don't know if that's a boys versus girls thing, but I can think about some of the best friends of my life, especially as a kid. I either thought that before I, we became best friends, before we even became friends, oh. I either thought that they were assholes or, <laughs> or you know, not as cool as I was. You know what I mean? And it's, it's weird how you kind of circle each other in that way before you find common ground a lot of the time. It's, it's weird that how those two extremes seem to work a lot of the time. But they really took it seriously. Like when I talked about like them forming the Metropolitan Film Group, um, I mean, here's a quote from Bruce. It's, it's pretty wild. Like... Um, you know, eventually Sam, Josh, John, Mike, and I all merged with the Spiegel camp. Now between us, we had cameras, projectors, editing equipment, and lights. Everything we needed to do more fully blown projects. It wasn't Hollywood, but a lot of film was being shot. We got serious enough to form the Metropolitan Film Group and even issued business cards. But it was an operation where many of the traditional film jobs overlapped. Whoever brought the film and made the most phone calls became the producer. And anyone who came up with a basic concept was considered the writer. Directing was often handled by more than one of us at the same time. So you could tell like in high school like they're kind of figuring out what they want but i think bruce was always like i want to be on the screen you know like he wanted yeah. to be the actor um so well, mac i remember by the time you guys got to college you were doing some film stuff in addition to stage stuff right yep <laughs> you fucking asshole nope, that's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah for 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 the first couple of years of college i was trying to get into the film school um, Florida State's got a really good film school. Um, I don't say that by experience. I didn't, I had never got in, but uh, but I, I was trying to do a lot of that stuff, and I was, um, you know, just volunteering wherever I could, you know, to, for 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 a lot of time uh, trying to do that, and it was fun because it did feel very much like we've only got X amount of days, equipment, time, and it all, even though we had a decent 
decently good equipment. I feel like it still felt very like shoddy and very like backyard <laughs> film, well, uh, guerrilla film style. That's the know? crazy thing about it was still difficult to do that in the early 2000s. No, oh, yeah. Can only imagine how difficult it was to do this 25 years earlier. You know, you know, it, I, well, I'll talk about this when we get to another category. I was going to say, it's, and we all made movies growing up. It's the difference between having a 16 millimeter camera and mm-hmm. having videotape. 16 yes. millimeter is at the same time harder and easier to manipulate because with, I mean, it took me a while to figure out with making my own home, my, my little movies when I was a teenager, you know, adolescent, that you have to hook up two VCRs and a camcorder and there were tricks you could do. But with, if you were just shooting on 16 millimeter, eight millimeter film, in this guy's case, you could just cut it. Yep. You literally, cut, literally. It mm-hmm. cut it. Yeah. You had to wait for it to get developed and it just looked better. I think that's when Max talking about that backyard kind of look. Although I will say I watched Scott Spiegel's Thou Shall Not Kill Except last night. And despite having a little bit more of a budget, it does look like it was all shot in somebody's backyard. But that's I the fun about it. I always love the title of that. Oh, great title, great poster. Eh, the movie. The dot, dot, dot. Except. Except, yeah. Great stuff. Great material. Yeah, so, they well, all had a were, sense of humor. You know, well, they all did, the yeah. That's the thing. They're, 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 we talked about earlier, but like their backgrounds were specifically comedy. I think they really were focused on doing comedies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really. I mean, th- they didn't really even like horror movies that much. I mean, yeah. that, that that is the thing. Like, it was, you know, I mean, all of them pretty much liked uh, Three Stooges. Um, they they really they were really into just kind of the shit that kids around that time were into. I mean, like you always like. I feel like Vanderbilt. You're the probably the closest to this sort of upbringing. Um, not only just because of the Midwest, but just because of your own fascinations. Like you always ta- you always cite like Sven Gulli. And oh, yeah. that kind of reminded me of what they were obsessed with too, which was, um, it was, uh, there's this like local TV show that they had called the ghoul. Um, and not to be confused with Gabagool, um, but it was the ghoul. And, uh, the, the Campbell says the gag of this cheesy show is to air a really bad horror film. And the host Ron Swede would dub in his own disgusting sound effects and put on skits during the commercial breaks. One of his favorite pranks was to blow things up with M eighties. Um, and Scott was impressed with that. I had a prop that I sent in, got blown up to smithereens. So like <laughs> you could tell they were like really, um, curious, with just all of this uh, that, that was around them. And, and like that coupled with that backyard sensibility that I discussed earlier is how this came to be. I really do feel like it, it's like the two worlds combined. It's almost like, you know, the kid that walked by a garage and was like, Hey, I like this, you know, um, and I play drums and, Oh, you like, I like the Ramones and I play guitar. And then, then they create a band. Like that's, it's, it's, it's the making of a band here, which is so cool. Um, and you don't really see that, I, I can't think of any other franchise that we've talked about where it starts out like this. Or they started out as high schoolers and they're still mm-hmm. the same team working exactly. today. Yeah, the only thing I think of is, you know, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were close, but it wasn't like they were in second grade or like they, were, no. they didn't grow up together. You know, that's, no. that's a big difference. What's incredible is a lot of these short films that they would make over the years are on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I believe It's Murder is on YouTube. And Ellen Sandweiss is actually in that as well as Bruce Campbell and some others. It's crazy that this stuff that was absolutely impossible to find for decades is just, you go on YouTube, it's up there. Well, you know, yeah. it's, it's pretty incredible stuff. Well, and so, like the thing that's astounding about it is that like, I mean, think about all the times when you're in high school and you have these like big dreams to do stuff. Like when I was in high school, I was really obsessed with being in a rock band, which something that was, you know, eventually kind of petered out when I went into college and how I really got stoked. You know, I still was in bands, but it wasn't as like the focus. These guys never gave up on that dream. 
And, you know, so much so that like Campbell even kind of like dropped out and like pursued acting on his own. And, you know, even though Ramey was making his own studies elsewhere too, he still stuck with it and was still trying his hardest to make it happen. And then, you know, then they met Rob Tappert and that's where things started getting a little more professional. And they're like, okay, well, let's try to really make a fucking feature. Um, and that kind of, but that obsession and that curiosity never wavered. And I think that's rare. And I think that's why they were where they're there, why they're where they are today. I think it's a lot of luck, too, simply because as much as, you know, Rothman, you mentioned, like, it sounds like it might have been a lot of like me growing up. Like, I wanted to do these things, but I never really found I had good friends growing up, but I never found a group of friends that wanted to do this stuff. See, I never had that friend to kick me in the ass to let's do this Mm -hmm. until you mailed us. (laughs) No. I'm not meant to be the leader. That's why Justo hosts this show. I'm not meant to be the leader. I want to be the third or fourth in command. Well, look, there are plenty of people out there who are supremely talented at writing, performing, and who knows what could have happened. So much of the stuff really is, it really is circumstantial and luck. It's who you know. It's who you ran into. Dress up as Sherlock Holmes playing with dolls. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those lives could have been totally different if they didn't ever run into each other, if, if their parents didn't meet and meet, go to the same school. That kind of stuff will drive you crazy if you think about it for too long. But Rothman, so they were making short films for a long time. Not horror by any means, yeah. but no. it was one of those short comedies that they made. I remember it didn't get a big reaction, but there was one kind of funny but scary moment, like a jump yeah. scare that happened that really worked, and they thought, oh... Okay, maybe we can do something here. I think it was the It's Murder. It was, yeah. Film. So yeah. It's Murder was essentially the the opening of Last Crusade for Sam Raimi. Mm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, like you know, you learn, you get all your quirks, and you learn a lesson. You know, and the guy from was it uh, Friday Thirteenth New Beginning is just like you know, you lost today, kid, but you you know, great line. You don't have to like it. But with with It's Murder, it was pretty much a failure. You know, like he poured a lot into that. It was you know at that point they're in college. You know, um, you know they had just, they had already shot the Happy Valley Kid. They kind of had a success there. But with It's Murder. Murder, there are two things that happen. One, Ramey experienced uh, failure. He uh, and, and Campbell talks about this. He said um, at the screening, he said uh, a thir- about thirty minutes in, it wasn't quite halfway, and I saw the shadow of a hand come on, up on the screen, throwing his hands up in the air, saying, "This sucks. I don't even want my money back." Then he Is stood that Joel up. Siegel? Yeah, it was at probably the, Joel at Siegel. The two screening. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> then he stood up, and the chairs went bappity bappity bappity, and I heard this clump 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 down the stairs, and then the door opened, and it was left alone in there. I thought I could watch the rest of the movie, which is forty more minutes, or I could rewind it, which is thirty. I remember just rewinding it for thirty minutes backwards, sitting in the balcony. I was thinking, I got to somehow figure out a way not to be in this position again. Actually, that was a quote from Sam Raimi. But here's what happened with that. So to avoid that again, they kind of you know, chiseled down what did work. Um, And here's the quote from Campbell. He said, um, but something happened during the screenings of the murder mystery flop, (laughs) which I love what he calls it a flop. Uh, flop. It made made us take note. A suspense scene called for what we later would term a scare. This Mm. played out when a heinous uh, criminal leapt upon an unsuspecting victim from the backseat of a car. Screenings of the film were always met with a lackluster response. But that scene always delivered. People never failed to jump out of their seats. It worked great, Sam noted. When he showed it, that was the one part, the only part of its murder that really worked well. Aside from comedy, scares 
were the only other guarantee of provoking a strong reaction from the audience. And then that's what made them go, all right, we need to study the horror genre. <laughs> like, and like Vanderbilt, you mentioned this really earlier on, is the fact that they were not big horror heads by any means. Like the four of us are, and, and good old Dan Caffrey, who can't be with us today because he is in a cabin in Tennessee right now being possessed by a demon yeah. in the basement, in the cellar, I should say, a fruit cellar. And what did they do... Because again, this is the seventies. There aren't a lot of there aren't video stores, period. You know? Mm-hmm. So how do you investigate horror? What do you do, Mike Ruff? And what do you have to do to find that stuff? You go to the drive in theater. Yeah. He t- you know, Campbell actually admits that even by like nineteen seventy nine, it was kind of fading cultural phenomenon. I do have to say though, there is a Rob Taper quote where he says at that time twenty five percent of movies released went to drive ins. Which is still wow. astounding. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he talks about how wading through countless two films for $2, we got the chance to document the behavior of what would become our target audience. If the pace of, say, Texas, the, the massacre at Central High drag, the horns of cars all around us would honk in unified disapproval. If Revenge of the Cheerleaders had cheesy effects, which it did, headlights came on and the screen would be washed out for several punishing minutes. The message was loud and clear. Keep the pace fast and furious, not to be confused with the Vin Diesel franchise that would arrive 40 years later. And once the horror starts, never let up. The gore, the merrier, became our prime directive. Uh, And then he said the other thing that stood out among all these lame-ass films... was the fact he's such a I, I love Bruce Campbell so much was the yeah, fact no that filter. he's just no filter with him was the fact that very few if any boasted the requisite name actors fancy clothes or exotic locations that were often associated with so many other genres aside from ample amounts of blood they didn't even require that many special effects for three guys who never managed to come up with more than two thousand dollars for film this was encouraging news and it's it's just I don't know. I, I kind of love the fact that they are like quantifying all these ideas and, and, and attributes. Like it's, it's such an approach to movie making that I just don't know if I, I think it just shows why they were able to upgrade from being like a bunch of kids in, around the neighborhood to making, you know, feature films. Cause I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have taken that approach. I, I do wonder well, Mac, what, you know, Mac, the cynical part of me would be like, well, so many people, so many producers after the success of something like Halloween or Friday the 13th, they had those similar things where they would just kind of pick and choose what worked. But the difference is, Mac, is that they did not have the imaginations that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and, and company had. Am I right about that? And if you say yes or no, I'm going to, I swear to God, I'm going to throw this water no, through it's my true. laptop at you. <laughs> it's true. Doing what they did with taking, I think that, it, you know, okay. So I watched a movie recently, Tick, Tick, Boom, right? I know you've all watched it a billion tick, tick, times. Boom. We knew the Tick, Tick, Boom would be brought Underrated up during movie. the Evil Dead. Underrated. I, I do think that it's mainly, it's largely about the, mu- the, the musical that didn't get made before he did Rent, right? Which ended up becoming this huge splash, this huge, huge, huge hit. And I kind of look at at, at these shorts uh, the same way. Like they they poured their heart, he poured his heart into this comedy, and it failed. And he could have hung it up, but he decided, mm-hmm. no, I'm gonna. What is working here? And I'm gonna take it to the next level and do try push myself even further. And then we got one of the greatest horror movies of all yeah. time. And it's it's like when you are at your lowest, that's when you can produce your best. I think you know, and you just have to keep. You just have to be optimistic and you have to keep pushing forward and not let this stuff defeat you. And I think that that is the best thing and the best lesson any, any horror head can, can take away from this, you know? 
Yeah. You can't go into some of the stuff half-cocked, especially well, nowadays. It's so hard because it's just such an overpopulated – pop culture is so – there's too much right now. There's it's too just, much. There, there really is too much. And I, it doesn't mean too much. That, that the stuff out there. It doesn't mean that the stuff out there is bad, but there's just too much of it that it's so much is just going to slip through the cracks. Like for me, I think we're joking here today. I can only handle one TV show a season. Honestly, it's like I, I, I know a couple people that we know. Mike Ruff, and you're one of them, has been like singing the praises of, of Pam and Tommy. Right. And it's only like eight episodes, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like I just don't know if I the way I operate, it's like I can't. I've got so much to watch and read and listen to. Like that just seems so daunting to have to pick up on eight hours of something. There's so much of that going on right now. There's an eight, there's an Apple show with Adam Scott. That's supposed to be amazing. I know I'm dying I'm never to watch, watch that it. one. I know. That's why we it. expect <laughs> our fans to only listen to Halloweenies. Right. Club. Right. Because right there you've got, you've got all your hours, hours you and hours and hours of every month. Well, uh, so let's, let's kind of jump ahead a little bit. So Mike, they researched, you know, Grammy was influenced by Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre, movies of that ilk. And The Hills not of really Ice. HP Lo- not really H.P. Lovecraft, as was um, originally believed. He wasn't, didn't, wasn't a huge fan of his. You could look at the Book of the Dead stuff and, and take, but honestly, that's just demon possession, evil book type thing at the end of the day. Yeah, so it's interesting with the, the conception of Evil Dead came about because at uh, Michigan State University, Sam had been studying He did study a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft in his literary classes, but he had just heard about the Necronomicon of the Book of the Dead. Here's a conversation between Sam and Bruce. So Sam says, I read a short story in a class. Yeah, Bruce was says called. Sam said, I can't remember what it was called. It was just a writing exercise. Bruce, was it about the Necronomicon? Sam, no. It was just about being alone in a cabin. A scary story, mm. short story about being alone in a cabin. And at the same time, I had a class in ancient history where we studied the Necronomicon. Bruce, so it was a combination of creative writing and ancient history. So from those rough concepts, they kind of made this simple story. I mean, and you... You know, you take that simplicity, marry it with all the takeaways they got, you know, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, from Night of the Living Dead, uh, from The Hills Have Eyes, and voila, you have a formula, you have a pitch, you have a premise. And that was how The Evil Dead came about, you know. And speaking of pitch, what they decided to do is kind of make what's really a short film. It's not like an extended trailer. It's a 30 minute short film that they put together with many of the people who would end up doing the Evil Dead movie called Within the Woods. And this was back in 1978. This is years before Evil Dead even came out. And so they were able to pull together, I think it was about $1,600. And once again, uh, remarkably, you couldn't find this thing anywhere for decades. It was so hard to find. It's sitting on YouTube, just type in Within the Woods, and it pops up right away. It's right there. I, I, it's still amazing to me that's this. Never so want, accessible. I always got the vibe they never wanted it released. That's what either. I thought too, because it was never. It was always teased to be on the DVD releases, and then yeah, they're they like, never "Oh, last it. minute, it's not happening." And you're and like, you know, when afraid. I interviewed Bruce Campbell, he said it was because of the copywritten music they use in it. They yeah. use a disco song. I'm neglecting which one it was right uh, now. Okay, that's that's possible. I mean, even look, it's extremely even compared to the Evil Dead. It's extremely you know rough in terms of. Yeah, quality of it, right? But it's, it's worth it's, watching from it's a historical. It's still endearing, though. Yeah, you know? it's worth watching from a historical perspective. Absolutely. but it's kind of a it's kind of a rough watch, especially in the quality that it's in. Yeah. Well, Mac, but, you, you want to lead this off because I've got some notes about. But do you want to lead off your experience uh, with within and any any differences and similarities you notice between yeah, you within know, the woods so and I, the Evil Dead? 
I was excited when you said it was just sitting there on YouTube. I thought, how have I not watched this yet? <laughs> so I threw it on and it is rough and tumble. I mean, even that bootleg version is pretty, you got to want it for those 30 minutes to get through. the original doctor who, you know, you got to really, uh, Oh yeah, definitely put yourself in that place, you know, but, uh, I just had a blast watching it. I mean, it is very, very much a rough version of evil dead in, in within 30 minutes. And you could tell even some shot for shot stuff is taken uh, directly from this version. And, and and that's cool to see like what did work, what didn't work. Some things in this, they use in Evil Dead 2. And we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's essentially, it's just the, you know, the four students, uh, they, instead of a cabin, it's a farmhouse. Uh, everybody's going by their own name. Uh, Scott Spiegel is playing Scotty <laughs> in this version. Uh, Mary Valenti is Mary. And then Ellen Sandweiss is kind of like the Linda-esque character with Bruce. And, uh, I just got to mention Bruce Campbell's wearing a great baseball tee. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> white and yellow baseball tee. And I kind of love it. Good look. Yeah. It's, it's, it, the the major focus is kind of more on the lore of like an it's like an Indian tribe an Indian burial ground that mm-hmm. they're disturbing. Yep. I think I think it's the name of the demons Tinga. I think is like the, the the demon of the forest. Essentially, the deadite of this uh, within the woods is Bruce Campbell. So it's kind of fun to see him do that when you know that obviously he did not go on to do that in the first Evil Dead film. But it is cool to see his early version <laughs> of the Dead Eye, and then knowing that you know he gets to do that full on in Evil Dead too. It's pretty tight and fun, and, and it was just cool to see some of the things uh, pop up that showed up in the last one. Like the last scare is the Scotty scare when Scotty sits up, you know, in front of the camera. I think that's such a great scare. Such Even a in great that, scare. it's so yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great moment when Ellen is just kind of like rocking back and forth after she thinks she's she's killed, you know, her boyfriend essentially. <laughs> And she's just like kind of talking to the others like about their picnic they're going to go on. And it's very much like when Ash is talking to Scotty after Scotty's dead and just kind of like, oh, we're going to well, all of us are going to get in the car and we're going to go. And you, me and Shelly, oh, oh, not Shelly, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's really kind of creepy, though. But it is it's really fun. And just to see like the kind of the beginnings of it. Um, but essentially they, yeah, they were just using this as a, as a kind of like a long form trailer to get investors to invest in evil dead and, in, in, in the actual film version of this and Hey, it worked. <laughs> so, you know, whatever, say what you will about within the woods. I think that it's, if you're an evil dead fan, you'll love it. You'll just love it because it's just more of, it's the weird wackadoo version of what <laughs> you already know, you know? Yeah. yeah it's, it's a demo for it, you. It's the demo tape. for you. You know, that's that's essentially what it is. If we're going to keep using band comps and stuff, I mean, it's it's, it's total demo tape. And oh, yeah. like Ricky like a Sharp demo, from Sharp Records, yeah, he saw it. <laughs> like you know, I just saw that demo, and I got to say, I got to you know, I'm blown away. I'm going to give you a six picture deal. Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk tomorrow. Uh, uh, obviously, so, yeah. that didn't happen. No, uh, no, 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 dear, no, 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 no. You give but, the evil the Evil Dead timeline within the woods is shot in spring of 1979 at the Tapert family farm, which is also where they used. Uh, for the cellar sequences later on for um, Book of the Dead slash Evil Dead. So. Slash Evil Dead. So Raimi, so once all this was cut and made, Raimi was able to show Within the Woods, which was the title, at a movie theater. He found like a movie theater in Detroit that would show the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So it was kind of like a similar, let's have a fun time crowd. Didn't Perfect. have a huge following all of a sudden after that, but it did gain enough praise. There were a couple notices in the local paper about the respectability of it and like, you know, kind of, 
some of it was pretty nice praise about compared to a lot of the other big budget stuff. You can see there was more heart in this than other things. And it's funny, but Bruce Campbell said, according to who they would eventually get to, to pony up the cash after seeing within the woods, uh, Bruce Campbell said, dentists. Yeah. <laughs> he said, this is back in 2005, an interview posted by WENN. He said, dentists are great. Get money from dentists. They're loaded with dough. They'd have a dinner party with four dentists and their wives, and we'd show them this completely gross-out short film, and they would invest. One guy gave us money because he didn't go to Vegas that year. He said, I usually take two grand and blow it in Vegas. Well, here's my Vegas money. And and Campbell said he's since made 17 times his money. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, I mean, mean, go for it. No, no, I was going to say, Justo, get this. It was August 17th, 1979, Mm. when Within the Woods was shown... At the Punch and Judy in Gross Point Blank, Saturday that, only at ten forty-five p.m. with a dollar fifty admission. Unreal. Oh God! But they it, it, they showed it in crazy places too because he talks about how like they screened it at the the Walnut Lake Market uh, for the owners there, and then in the soap aisle. And he had talked about how he had mopped that that exact area in high school multiple times, <laughs> so he knew where all the power outlets were because of it. I just think I want to so- say, Mike, didn't he show it at? In like the back of like a the meat section of yes. a supermarket, and they showed like on the wall or something. They just sat with this guy and and just showed it on the projection screen or something like that. Yeah, but there was a buzz. I mean, you were you're all right. Like it did get a good uh, review. Like uh, I actually have a piece from the Evil Dead Companion, um, Michael McWilliams of the Detroit News. He reviewed it mm-hmm. um, on uh, August twenty fourth of nineteen seventy nine. He said it will probably never be advertised alongside the glossy big budget horror movies of our time, like you mentioned. But you won't easily forget a locally produced little film called Within the Woods. In just 32 minutes, it provides more chills, thrills, and squeamish giggles than such recent professional duds as Prophecy yep. and Amityville Horror combined. <laughs> That's the review. Yeah. Well, it's funny because he should have said spills in that. He, he said chills, thrills, and didn't say spills. No spills. What kind of a hack critic is this? I know. <laughs> Come on. Uh, okay, so here's the thing about, believe it or not, they didn't keep great books <laughs> accounting-wise <laughs> for this movie. Um a lot of reports have it around ninety to 100000 but there's a junket interview that Sam Raimi gave. You can watch this interview on YouTube with Bobby Wygant. He said it cost around $350,000, but it's very likely that a lot of that accumulated after production in terms of publicity, showing it overseas, all the other stuff that goes into it. But this was a very, very inexpensive movie to make, and they had to eventually... We'll get into that a little bit later on. But they had to eventually start begging for money during production because they were yeah. running out so fast. Um, but listen, I do think it's time. We might as well, 70, 80 minutes into this, discuss <laughs> the actual production of the <laughs> yeah. movie. And uh, believe it or not, I do have some notes about the actual making of the film The Evil Dead. Uh, Rami called it, Rami called it the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And I, I want to say this too. There's a great, great interview that he gave around the time of Ash vs. Evil Dead, IGN. I think it's just it's Sam Raimi spills the beans on the Evil Dead. Great interview. I'll be reading a lot from that as I go ahead here. Uh, Raimi did say, there was no running water. It was in the 20s and 30s. We didn't have any winter wear. It was freezing. When you're in the cold for 16 hours, you start to, I started to die. There was no food <laughs> And everything was covered in caro syrup in that temperature. So I'd be running the camera, but my hands were covered in caro syrup. You lean against something and get it all over your hands. The only water we had was in a hot water heater so you could make instant coffee. 
boiling water over your hands from the tap. That's how you'd wash them to load the film into the camera. This is what we're talking about. You have got to want it. Because me, I would have quit. <laughs> I would have quit. I would have been one of the members that left. People did. This is November of 1979 as well. Correct. So knows. And by the way, um, this is around the time. Nah, I think mid-production, I would have been conceived. Wow. <laughs> How about that? Let's Thanks. get the timeline down here. I don't think my parents were at... That would be funny. Like, you know, we visited my old friend Sam Raimi. We went to the set. and That's where we were in the cabin. <laughs> So it, it's pretty wild too, because like the, the actors were only paid for like at first a hundred dollars, oh, and geez. then it's uh, it, it's it's pretty great uh, because um, th- then they were like, all right, well, fuck, we're 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 going over budget, we're going over production. How do we do this? And there's like this hilarious back and forth towards the end of the production where they, you know, they're like everyone's downstairs being like, all right, we're, we're fucking shipping off tomorrow morning. And then upstairs you have like t- Tapper, Bruce, and then uh, Sam Raimi are like, all right, well maybe if we just give them $30 now <laughs> and then we'll, inflation, they'll, they'll recoup. That's like $300. You know? it, yeah. True. Right. No, God. <laughs> and then they would come down and they're like, no, we're leaving tomorrow. So that, then, you know, they were lo- left with an even more bare bones crew. I mean, it, it is you, it, Vanderbilt, you talk about how there was a tweet and I've referenced it a bunch of times on this podcast about how, like, oh, it would been interesting to make a movie about the making of Halloween. And I think that you really want to make a great miniseries now. You could do a miniseries on the making of Evil Dead, and it would be fucking entertaining as hell. Oh, I think because, it'd, be, it'd be a comedy of errors. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you wild. Know, ironically forget enough, that it would be the comedy... For, forget that Godfather the, series. Let's, let's see the making about the, evil, uh, the evil Dead. Well, think about this. Ironically enough, it would be the comedy that they always want to make. Mm-hmm. It would be about the making of Evil Dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Van, but you mentioned this. This was filmed in late fall '79, early winter of '80. It was supposed to be a few weeks. Turned out, it turned into a few months, according Jeez. to Bruce Campbell. It ended up being like three months altogether, which is insane. They were shooting off real shotguns. Nobody had made a movie before. People, the context that they were wearing were basically glass lenses. You know, this is in the days you know, even before Thriller. Watching all that, like, or hearing about that, that sounds like the most painful part of this Ugh. shoot. I get yep. weirded out by that. Putting those, I can't even wear regular contacts, so I can't even imagine what they had to go through to do this. They, they, they said they could it. only keep them on for fifteen minutes, and but it took like ten minutes to apply. So they're like, all right, at some point we had keep to just on. use. They had to use uh, just um, Tupperware <laughs> over their eyes to make it work, I, and you I couldn't mean, see. They could not. There was no, no. vision throughout the, through these contacts. Oh no, because there's like behind the scenes footage where you know Betsy is sitting there when she's, you know, doing the infamous, uh, we're going to get you. And you could just tell like, is like, is the light on me, you know, or, you know, is there's too much light or is there l- mm-hmm. less light? And you could just see that she has no idea what's like, what's around oh, her God. at that point. The, the it's creepy too. It freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll um, get a couple notes about a couple of random notes about the production. Then we can talk about some of the innovative techniques that they had to use because they were forced to use them. While, you know, when you go to the woods, that is a cabin, that's an actual cabin that existed in Tennessee. All the cabin exteriors were shot there. But that cabin did burn down years ago, unfortunately. I think the chimney, it was there for a time, but I feel like even the chimney's probably gone. I think people were just stealing bricks and stuff like that from the the site. But Mac, this is incredible. Mac, you have dirt from (laughs) where they filmed Evil Dead, right? Do you have it with you? I want to look at it in the Zoom. I do. Well, you know... 25 years ago, I uh, I trekked out there to Morristown, Tennessee. And I, oh, God. 
went out there with a shovel. <laughs> That's a lie. No, uh, when, <laughs> as a big horror hound, when Fright Rags launched shortly after, they they did a, a Ladies of the Evil Dead thing, and I've got some great artwork up on my wall over here. I'll bring it over in a second. And they got the ladies to sign it, all, all three of them. It's pretty awesome. And they were also doing, a, you know, a T-shirt and all that stuff. But they they had little vials of authentic Evil Dead dirt, and I've got it right here. And it's probably why I've been haunted the last 15 years of my life. Like you said, the grounds of the cabin's gone, unfortunately. That's just a bummer. You think It's kind of one of those things where you're like, can't you go back and just rebuild the cabin? And no, leave God, it there no. Well, for see what would happen. No. Mike's got his finger up. I'm interested in what he has to say. What, well, what you, you better watch out with that dirt because guess what? That cabin was uh, apparently haunted, and before they actually even filmed the movie there so that's true i want to hear i want to hear more about that Mike, mac but, maybe those that pounding maybe that pounding in your apartment isn't construction it's the evil trying to get in exactly yeah, they've been renovating the apartment above me for uh, thank god they're not working on it today but they've been doing it for about three months and uh, i actually went up there and it's there's actually no work has been done the dead there was a there was a deadite sitting there uh <laughs> cross-legged in the doorway singing uh, a song and you know what it was actually nice because i finally got got some some really good sleep that night that's oh, kind of sweet. It was, uh, it was the melody of we're going to get you, but it was a kind of nice piano lilt to it. That's kind of sweet. Well, oh let God. me ask the three of you here, and I know the three of you know this answer, but it's, this is a great fact and piece of trivia. Do we all know who the assistant editor was on The Evil Dead? I do. Oh, yeah. Joel Cohen. Who's that? Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, maybe for the Cohen brothers. Well, he's one of the brothers. And well, we look. I'm sure at some point we'll somehow talk about Joel Cohen because, you know, the Cohen brothers, in my opinion, like top 10 filmmakers of all time. But we don't have really space to talk about them for The Evil Dead. I will say, though, he got the idea to film a short trailer in the vein of Within the Woods for his pitch for Blood Simple. And do you know who plays the Dan Hedaya role in that short film, in that trailer? Mike Vanderbilt. Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell, indeed. And once again, sitting there on YouTube, all the, all the promo really, stuff that they really did. Really cool trailer. Sitting there. Almost feels definitely part, it feels part of the Evil Dead universe in the way that thing got. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, I it's like my, that's still my, one of my favorite eras of the Coens, too, um, is that, mm. that early on, because it just is so rustic. I do wonder, would Bruce Campbell work in the John Getz role in Blood Simple if they did it? Or would he be too handsome? I think Getz was pretty handsome though back in the eighties, you know. He is, but I mean Bruce Campbell's like on another level too. But I, I wonder. I feel there was so we'll talk about Bruce later on, but there are so many chances that in which Campbell could have broken through. I feel like he was always runner up for a lot of these roles that ended up happening yeah. in the late eighties and early nineties, um, which is too bad. But honestly, I would I wouldn't change a thing about Blood Simple. That's one of the greatest. Oh, I film wouldn't either. I, of I all agree. Time. I agree. Um, I did want to mention about the cabin though, because yeah. it wasn't the original cabin. Um, because what happened was that, you know, they thought Michigan was going to be too cold because it was approaching fall. So they're like, all right, well, we're not gonna be able to shoot here. Let's go down to Tennessee. And the Tennessee film commission really made a good case of shooting there. Cause they, they actually, I mean, as Bruce says, it was their only state that seemed to give a rat's ass. And so they all went down there. They stayed at this large house several miles outside of Morristown, Tennessee, which was about 40 miles northeast of Knoxville. 
And he said it was, it's nothing of, it's just a small town. There's nothing really crazy about it. Uh, so don't go run down there, especially since the cabin's not there. But they, they had like 13 people staying in only six bedrooms, which mm. that, that, and that allotment went up. And the guy that, that helped him and kept him in there is the person who found the actual new cabin because the original cabin that the Tennessee Film Commission had scheduled for them all of a sudden, they were like, all right, we can't, we actually, you can't use that. And they had already been down there. So this guy named Gary Holt, who Campbell calls Gary, heals the de- here's the deal I worked out, Holt. <laughs> he's the one that actually found this this cabin. And ultimately, he's the one that, like, was really instrumental in actually making sure their lodging and arrangements were all set. Like, he talks at great lengths about this chili he made that made everyone sleepy and shit like that. But anyway, he finds this cabin and it's uh it was a day before shooting was to begin they they found this cabin that was not far from the rented house but it was visually ideal because it was rustic and they had the overgrown driveway so that road that they had they actually had to make that themselves but i mentioned it was haunted and here's the thing the in the 30s or so the story goes there was this young girl named clara who mm-hmm. lived in the cabin with her family and at one night there was a terrible thunderstorm that swept through that whole valley and during her, that storm, her parents were, like, brutally murdered. And so the girl, to escape the grim fate, like, wandered aimlessly um, until she was taken in by the neighbors. According to the legend, during the storms, you could hear her uh, in, the, the, in the woods, like, calling out for help and whatnot. So Oof. they had that context in mind before arriving. <laughs> and then when they get there... The place looked like fucking shit. I mean, there's like there was a there was you know there was a plug for electricity, but they didn't have any electricity. They had like no running water, no telephone service. Uh, cattle had apparently like run the place into the ground with like manure everywhere. <laughs> the ceilings were like really low, so their art director had to like spend like just a week alone, even though they were down there like putting it all together. Well, that's why the lighting of the house looks like set lights because mm-hmm. yeah. there's no yeah. there's nothing just a, there's no nothing, natural yeah. plugging in, yeah. Yeah, so it, it it definitely contributed to, in addition to all the fucking uh, weather con- conditions, because the irony was that they avoided Michigan for the winter, and yet Tennessee had one of the the, the harshest winters they'd ever experienced um, that entire time. You can so, see whenever they're outside. Like, yeah. That's not fake no. breath coming out, the, the fog and everything else going on there. What a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Didn't look like a movie set, and that definitely no. added to the authenticity to the whole thing. No. Yeah. So. Let's talk a little bit now about the technical you could say filmmaking genius that they had to, that they were forced to, to do here. Uh, Vanderbilt, you talked about the name of the camera, uh, the shots that they would take, right? What, what was it called? Well, uh, the, uh, they called the, the Ramo cam. Ramo was cam. It was right. a big part of what Sam Raimi used. And it was essentially just, I think this is the one that they talk about. It's the camera is mounted to a two by four. Yeah. That two people, Oh, everybody needs to write this down. Hold on. This is very important. <laughs> Let's see. This is okay. A two by four. Two by four. <laughs> they, yep. And they mounted the, uh, the 60 millimeter. I think, no, did they shoot it on? They shot it on 16, right? Yeah. blew it up to 35. And it would allow them, that's how they get all those shots of the evil force running through the woods and uh, smashing the uh, windows, which they just smashed actual windows. There was no candy glass there. <laughs> yeah. And I think, because oh, yeah. I don't think the Vaso cam, which is another piece of uh, Raimi's uh, arsenal, comes around till Evil Dead 2. I could be no, wrong. No, no, they used it. No, they used it. They used yeah. the Vaso cam on the original, which yeah. was, it was on a, it was like on a, it's almost like what, what Travis Bickle uses to pop the gun out in Taxi Driver. 
It really is. Yeah. Like. And it would yeah. just it would that's what they use to smash the window. Pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, the the Vasocam, it's so yep. inventive. I mean, look at these drawings that they have on here. They have like for the shaky cam that they also had, there was like a board. Clearly wood was like a big deal. <laughs> look at this production. wood defined in the forest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no that was joke. the great thing about the location. Uh, the biggest thing I think is interesting that I didn't understand that they did is uh, this kind of goes back to Raimi with his magic tricks was the elevator. Oh, to lift up the Cheryl character. Yeah, it's really weird. She was elevated. Like, it's so wild. I, I, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if I would have tried these things, they would break in a second. Like, the fucking oh, yeah. <laughs> two before, the, the camera, camera would be too would heavy for the wood. Right. The yeah. camera would have fallen into the bog. You'd, you'd, you know, ha- you'd half-ass it, like, well, that's fine. Uh, I got screwed on there. Well, I can't find any screws. I'll just put some nails into it. Yeah. We'll just say, like, hey, hey, run as swiftly as possible through all that muck and make it yeah. look like it's a steady cam shot. Like, no, just, <laughs> it'd be a nightmare. But anyway, yes, even the opening shot of the movie is unbelievable just the way they were able to do that. But I'm assuming the way they did it was on that two by four, you'd have to have somebody on each side and just mm-hmm. kind of run alongside it to make it look like it's elevated just above that little, that little swamp area it is and kind of going over bark and over right. everything else. Here's, here's some, here's, here's some official information on those cans. So okay, there's the, yeah, the, the shot you're talking about in the opening. Yeah. That's the, that's uh hold on. That's not the Rambo can. That is the, it's just that's the the Rambo can is different. The the uh, the shot you're thinking of is with the two boards, and I don't yes. think they have a name for it. I think they just call that the shaky cam. And yeah, they did. That was the shaky cam. The yeah. Rambo cam was a T bar. That's what broke the window. The Vaso cam mm-hmm. utilized Vaseline and a sawhorse, which computed mm-hmm. uh, uh, that created a smooth tracking movement. I wanted to get those facts straight so nobody got into our mentions at at Mike Vanderbilt. <laughs> well, the swamp thing they Come they literally me. on a raft and they're just floating with that shaky cam like over it and someone had to push sam raimi <laughs> when he's on the raft in that shitty swamp in the middle of like i don't know probably 30 to 40 degree weather like no, it was 20 30 degrees they were saying yeah. when they were making this thing unreal rough when you would have jumped to the opportunity to go on the raft in that right <laughs> oh god yeah absolutely and <laughs> especially with my board shorts and you know oh, it's god. so much fun i would love to get in dirty water that's probably if not definitively going to give me like some sort of scabies uh, or something no, the scabies well, like, the that problem. no human has been in before probably yeah you know? oh Oh, that section of the woods. Too many snacks. Absolutely disgusting. Creep me the fuck out, man. Fuck that. Well, so guess what, everybody? And we'll talk, there's a lot of special effects we're definitely going to talk about in the special effects section, so let's hold off on that. That's going to be a long section on its own. So they, they did manage to, they finished production. It took about three months. But then, of course, there was the horrors of post-production. And a lot of that was filmed at back at the farm, the Tappert's so, yeah. Tappert's farm, that's right. And let then, me get into the timeline here. So that it's yeah, not, January nineteen eighty, that's when the filming wraps in Tennessee. Yes. And I don't have an exact date when the rest of the shooting started, but definitely August nineteen eighty is when Tom Sullivan shoots the animated climax at Bart Which is Pierce's a year home. after official production had had uh, wrapped yeah. pretty much. That's pretty incredible. It took that long to get to it. Um and a lot of that stuff was filmed in Sam Raimi's garage too. I believe a lot of the basement or the, the mm-hmm. fruit cellar stuff was filmed in Sam. No, Raimi's. That's something that always amazed me when I was a kid and I was reading fan, Cinefantastique or anything that they built these facades in their parents' home mm-hmm. to look like the cabin. And when you watch it, did a pretty good job. It doesn't it. feel like they jumped. It doesn't feel like you're filming in somebody's pool or something like that. No, you know, no it feels like it's actually there. Impressive. Still. 
Yeah, okay. I mean, th- and that's that, that's so, so crazy to me is that like with such little budget, I mean, I, may, I imagine they just took a bunch of photos and stuff too. But even with Evil Dead 2, when they do reproduce the cabin, it's not like nowadays where you have like, you know, things where you can replicate and everything. Like they, they are just drawing from memory and like old cans of footage. It, it is still just astounding how, how precise they got things down um, when they would go back. And I, I don't know, just it's magic like, everything just worked somehow it <laughs> yeah. all worked it, at the end of the day it all worked out no matter all the hell that they all went through so Vanderbilt let's talk about another nightmare which was getting this thing out there into the world and like how did that how did all that come together oh my favorite part so yeah so let's uh get on to this whole timeline thing so Book of the Dead premieres at Detroit's Redford Theater on October 15th, 1981. They don't have a distributor. They're just kind of sh- they're showing this to their investors and some local kids. And this is two years after they started production on the movie. And, uh, you know, it was at the Redford Theater, which uh, opened in 1928. And thankfully, as we talk about on the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast, that the Redford still stands. And recently awesome. they actually showed Army of Darkness there. That's awesome. Uh, they uh, features... A historic, original, three-manual, ten-rank Barton Theater pipe organ and was originally designed with a Japanese motif that was altered during World War II. So then, Why did you do that? <laughs> I, I have I'm no kidding. idea. Continue. <laughs> so then now, there's another one. That, this, you don't, they don't talk about this screening as much, but I found an ad for it in one of the Detroit newspapers. There's a special sneak preview, uh, or I think it's described as almost world premiere in the article that accompanied of Book of the Dead that was held on November 14th, 1981. It was midnights only, and tickets were $3. So crazy. But they, they were like showmen. I mean, because like they, they, they made like custom tickets. They made custom programs. They made a custom wind track to kind of create the audit, the auditorium tone. Um, and they even had like an ambulance and a security guard at the front to kind of, which they, they, they credited to like William Castle creating that type of hijinks. Mm-hmm. The, the ballyhoo as a, as we say on the other show. Um, now Love at it. this whole, at this whole time, we got to remember they're out hustling. They're trying to get the thing picked up. So October of 81, the gang screens, the evil dead or rather book of the dead for countless distributors. They go out to New York and they're shot and they include Paramount, Avco Embassy, who we've discussed yes. on the show, Avco. and take a shot every time we mention Avco Embassy, and World Northall, which was mentioned, I believe it's in the Evil Dead Companion, because they also released The Children, which is notable in Halloweenies history. And as Harry Manfredini score. Absolutely. Essentially ripping off his own score for Friday the 13th. And the joke is that if they released The Children, which if you've seen The Children, you know what The Children is, but would not release The Book of the Dead. So... Enter New Line Cinema. We've discussed them on the show before. You know, Rob Shea's the main man over there, released Reefer Madness. Uh, to throw it back to another season of Halloweenies, they released Stunts, which was directed by Mark Lester, but written by Barney Cohen, who penned Fighter to 13th, the 13th. final chapter. The uh, New, New Line had uh, notably re-released Texas Chainsaw Massacre in inspiration on Book of the Dead in 83. And it's interesting to think about that at one point in 84, New Line Cinema owned the rights the evil dead texas chainsaw massacre and freddy krueger wow You're crazy we would have made ash versus uh or would have made freddy versus jason versus ash that much easier oh yeah um it was it could have they had it, it, it would have been freddy versus leatherface versus yeah that's true they yeah, had it right ash. there and they blew it they blew it uh, 
Or or did they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that just shows how different the horror world was in 1984 than it is today. True, so true. New Line execs, they see Book of the Dead around November of 81. They wanted to buy the world rights to the picture, but they offered no advance money to the boys. And the boys wanted to make some money on this. So now we enter kind of the unsung hero. I'd say mm-hmm. the, the guy who really puts, his, puts it on the map uh, with Irvin Shapiro. Uh, the boys had recognized the name Shapiro. Has he been associated with George Romero, Martin Scorsese? Uh, shout out to the Irishman. Have a ghoul. Shapiro had sent Romero's <laughs> script for Dawn of the Dead to Alfred Cuomo in Italy and had it translated and sent to Claudio Argento, who eventually got it in the hands of Dario Argento, who was instrumental in getting Dawn of the Dead made. And he, uh, as we talked about this quite a few times on the show, which I'm always, I, I always love that the connection between exploitation cinema and foreign cinema, yeah. art cinema. Yeah. The fact that uh, Irvin Shapiro brought The Grand Illusion, Breathless, The Cabinet of, Del- the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and Battleship Potemkin to the States throughout Grand his career. Great. So Shapiro movie. checks it out. I believe his quote was, Guys, it's not, the, it's not gone with the wind, but I think I can make some money. <laughs> but tells him, you got to change it from Book of the Dead to Evil Dead. Because people are going to think they're going to have to read. Which is, hey, look, that's pretty smart. Now, here was my favorite part. And I know, Rothman, you know this because it's in the book. I would like to read off the list of titles uh, that had been considered uh, to retitle Book of the Dead. And honestly, some of these are not bad. And we're going to do a round robin. After I say the title, I want to get a yay or nay from everybody on if you would go see this movie. All right, who would go for Mac, you go first, then Rothman, then I will. Okay. All right, all right, here we go. The Evil Dead Men and the Evil Dead Women. Yay. Oh, yay. Yay. I'm yay. with Mac in this one. Yay. <laughs> Just that o- sounds like a movie. Yeah, That's exactly. Too too long. <laughs> too too on the nose. That's and, very, and first of all, wait, hold on, it's a lie. Because there's only one Evil Dead Man. So it should be Evil Dead Man movie. and Evil Dead Women. Yes, 100 percent Don't get pedantic. Don't, don't get pedantic with me. I'm not seeing it. I I would say it. Very 70s. I think that's very 70s. That yeah, title. Yeah. <laughs> Fair monsters. Yeah. No, nay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's what? very good. No. no. Blood flood. Yay. Yay. Yeah. That's that's actually See, I think I think that's a great title. I would think that would be uh, an adult film. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> oh God. Somebody with like a like a period <laughs> kink or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say <that's, laughs> there's oh, look, okay. All right, that's enough. <laughs> you know, blood, blood rushes to certain areas when certain okay, things are happening. Yes, uh, that's also true. A hundred and one percent dead. Uh, too much math. Oh, yes. Yay. Yeah, but it, yeah, but yay, but also for franchise potential, nay. That's a better um, what tagline. You, wait, what's the name? But, what's but they the weren't thinking about franchise. At I know. The time. I know. A hundred and one percent dead. <laughs> that's pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think it's a better know. tagline than a title. It's, it's though, so right? corny. Don't get me wrong. You can't sell it though. No. But I, I like it more. I like it. Not right, not more. Yeah. I like it. I have to say, I like it. I don't like it more. Uh, here's a okay. good one. This is the last one for this. These bitches are witches. <laughs> great title. I mean, great title. Let's be honest. But that's no, more of like I a. Can't do uh, it. I, I, if this was a Evil Dead Two esque, you know, this is more of a comedy. Yeah, uh, I would, maybe. That's maybe. a good subtitle, right? That's this a good like, subtitle. You know, Jaws it's a good, three yeah. people zero. Yeah, you know, yeah. That type of thing. It's a good tagline. So that, um, they eventually settle on the Evil Dead, uh, thanks to our man Erwin Shapiro. Shapiro also came up with the title for Army of Darkness before he passed oh. away. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't find a story on how that came about, but Army of Darkness, another great title, but a story for another day. So, a story for another month. Shapiro suggests the boys take the film overseas to the European film festivals and they bring it to the Cannes market in 1982, which Joe Bob Briggs goes into this on the on a, the DVD documentary that it's not like the Evil Dead premiered at Cannes, though. Yeah, no. yeah people have to, people, whenever people hear that somebody got, something got taken to Cannes, they immediately think the red carpet, people showing up. You know, and their yachts to the red carpet, and you know, it's not. This was not that. This was not that. No, it's uh, it's where all the kind of degenerates and weirdos are hanging out. It's probably where. Have you ever seen those great photos of Joe Spinell with Sylvester Stallone walking oh, yeah. around Cannes wearing his maniac T-shirt because he was over yeah, there trying to sell about. it? Like this, yeah, this is where all the real this the stuff that we like was going to be. Mm-hmm. As Mac, oh, as yeah. Mac would say, we're the real trolls. But the real trolls are. Oh, I'm, what am I, Romero now? <laughs> But the real trolls, the George, the real there was a very heads. there was a very special guest, a very notable guest. Well, before that though, oh. I, I do have some interesting stuff that, that that this is a very Vanderbilt move, by the way, because um, <laughs> Shapiro's like you can't go there empty-handed, and so they had to create a promotional items. Now Vanderbilt every two or three days is like we got to make a pin, we got to make a pin, we got to get a shirt, and so Vanderbilt is the Shapiro. Of their group because they he, he pushed them to make these custom items and like a band to keep it with this uh, uh, you know alignment they did they made like they made matchbooks um, they had uh, brochures they had hats buttons invi- individual indiv- invitations uh, they had the the t shirts there as Campbell says on Evil Dead we had our fingers in every pie and remained connected to the film until the bitter end for it was to be the first and last time and. I just love that about this movie. It's it just, and I would kill to have one of those fucking pins or shirts. Something I, I, somebody told me years ago was people will throw away a business card, but they'll never throw away a pin. Nope. I, could, yeah, I can't. I still have I don't a bunch know, of random pins on my desk right now. I don't know who stuff. I can attribute that to, but I have taken that to heart. And it's true. And people will remember it. People, even if they don't like a pin, like even if they don't know what it's for, they will put it on their jacket. Well, you know what it is? It's smaller than the business card, but it's still a product. Mm-hmm. You're you're less likely to throw out a product than you are just a piece of paper. And here know? in Chicago, please visit Busy Beaver Button Company, who supply yep. me with all my pin needs. They are a female-owned business, great stuff, do good work, and have always been helpful with me. So I do appreciate them. They made our glow in the dark losers club pins. Did they now? Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to get yeah. we got to get like a promotional Halloweenies pin out there. We do. Yeah, I, I think yeah. we could get like a, a, a season five pin out there. Yeah, I just want to. Uh, I, yeah. I, I just want to have something to give away when I'm at, as, as you know, Chicago's best bartender. When I'm working at Lollapalooza or Trademark or um, <laughs> or Riot Fest, because <laughs> we do have a lot of we have a lot of listeners out there around yeah. the nation well, and around. Because, like I always say, also you might not be able to find a T-shirt that fits you. You may not be able to find a magnet that fits your fridge, but you can always wear a pin on anything. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. right. Put, you could put a pin on anything too. You could put a pin on anything. <laughs> that's right. You know who put a pin on the Evil Dead was Mr. Stephen King. What a transition! Yeah, <laughs> Good job. He, he was over in Cannes promoting Creep Show, and that's where he first saw. Evil Dead. So uh, this is a little King's Dominion for a King famously called the Evil Dead, the most ferociously original horror film of 1982 in the November 1982 issue of Twilight Zone magazine. You know what's amazing about that? That's only, what, correct me if I'm wrong, nine years after his first novel and he had that much weight already? Yeah. It's kind I mean, of amazing. Master of horror, baby. Yep. And it's kind of yeah. interesting to me, too, because... 
The Evil Dead doesn't seem like anything that Stephen King would write or even be interested in. To me, you guys more know more about the King himself than I do. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's something that he would have loved growing up, though, because it has mm-hmm. an EC Comics undertone to it, which is yeah, you know fitting because it, it's fitting that he's doing Creepshow because he has a one of his first stories is like I was a teenage grave robber, and there are a lot of Evil Dead esque elements to it, and he's always been pretty. I wouldn't say he's been obsessed with Lovecraft, but he's intrigued by him. Like, you know, you even look at like Jerusalem's lot, it's definitely indebted to Lovecraft. And like, so I think the lore of this coupled with the the simplicity and the gore and the, the grim of it all really kind of just got into his jugular. I mean, I'll point. put it this way, Mike, if it had taken place, I'll put the kids in 1984 when it takes place. I, I, I mean, the kids, it's, it's complicated to explain it because it's two different time <laughs> periods, but if it followed kids in 1984, they would have been seeing the Evil mm-hmm. Dead at some midnight thing or something yeah. like that. That's what the, that's what it would have been. So. Yeah, I so, will say this isn't the this isn't the last time you're going to hear about Stephen King with this franchise. Is, oh, that uh, is correct. Is, yeah. So so that same month, the Evil Dead finally appears on the cover of Fangoria number twenty three in an article by Fango editor Uncle Bob Martin. Uh, Not to be confused with Robert Pollard of Guy by Voices. Different His nickname is also Uncle Bob. Different Uncle Bob. I would imagine both of them like to partake in alcoholic beverages. Bob's your uncle. So later that year, so now we, we flash forward to summer of 1983. Robert, Roger Ebert writes in the summer 1983 about the canned marketplace, re- referring to the hot item is rumored to be the evil dead, as he describes it. And this spelling is accurate. A low-budget sexlotationer. That's what it was in the newspaper that has them lined up around a block in Manhattan. So it's it's playing over in New York at this point because the film opens in New York on April 15th, 1983. And that's where officially opens. And that's why I was saying all those different dates, because they were premiering at different times, shown at different places in different countries. But 83 is kind of the. Here that's when it comes dead. to the states because, and even then, it takes its time getting around. I think for our for those young bloods out there that listen to us, movies didn't always have, especially something like The Evil Dead, didn't have a national release off the bat. It yep. would start small. It would probably start in New York or smaller towns, a lot like what Halloween did. So, this is where Bob Shea and the gang see it at the Rivoli, the Rivoli Theater, and uh, this is where it's notable that the. Evil Dead is released without a rating. And this is something worth mentioning because... So the NC-17 rating comes around in 1991. Mm-hmm. But before that, anything with, you know, very... that Our movies you could get into with a parent. X-rated movies you could not. You couldn't bring your kids in there. So the X-rated movie, like Midnight Cowboy, the first X-rated movie to win Best Picture, was eventually re-rated as an R. But it's worth noting because what happened was the adult film industry took over the X... So the X ended up meaning nothing. So when a porno film is advertising as triple X, that's nothing. It was just to say, it was just the distributors, the ballyhoo men saying, oh, this is hotter than anything you've seen before. So the X rating kind of got, you know, conflated with actual, you know, with, you know, legit, <laughs> I don't want to, no, not to say legit. Sexploitation. But like, something like The Evil Dead, if you slapped an X rating on that, a lot of suburban theaters wouldn't play it. Because it was associated too closely to pornography, but well, I mean, even well, this is right before PG thirteen was even around, so it was it was so hard to rate these things. It was G, PG, or you jump all the way to R, right? And, and that's then, it, and then to X, which yeah. it was which why the NC the, the death knell for producers. If they got X, you were fucked. 
And I don't mean like fucked in X rated movies. <laughs> I will say it was a bold move to release it unrated, and it's interesting because it does end up going as wide as it does. So then the film moves to theaters, at least here in Illinois, in Moline, Carbondale, and Decatur in September of '83. Goofyon Stevens' favorite. Before it finally makes it to Chicago on November 25th, 1983, where it played on some double feature bills with Alone in the Dark, which was released by New Line that year, and Extra. Jack Palance, Jack Shoulder, who directed. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Very nice. Not Halloween's Dominion. Is there a yeah, Halloween's Dominion uh, now? Yeah, he's Everything Halloween's is. Dominion. We already we, we talked about Barney Cohen earlier, for God's sakes. <laughs> and I guess the last thing I can mention on this was that there's a, you know, that terrific poster, memorable, iconic poster. Yep. was designed by Mark Skolsky, who I don't know if he did any other work, but he uh, notably designed the poster for 1982's The, 1982's the Border, starring Jack Nicholson. And oh, I know that poster, too. Yeah. That's weird that he would... He's only done two posters, and one of them was a Jack Nicholson movie? Those are the only two I could oh find, God. because I don't think there's this... I don't think there's... Poster artists are, I think, aligned, I think, by the industry. I think we need to know more about posters, which is why I always make it a point to try and track it down for our episodes. Uh, but the artwork... I think it's great, because the only people... Honestly, the only whenever you think about posters, people go, oh, Drew Struzan. Yeah. But there's so many amazing posters out there that and don't when get you enough fi- credit. When you find out stuff like the same guy who did Silent Night, Dead and Light, Bruce Klieger, did The French Connection, that just makes my day, finding stuff I, out I, like That's that. so weird. You know? so, I, I well, 100% agree with that. The artwork's based on promo shots that Erwin Shapiro suggested the yeah. boys take, because a lot of those promo shots are just stills that were taken right out of the movie. But it's notable because the photos feature Bridget Hoffman, who a voice artist who would work with Raimi again on Darkman and... Drag Me to Hell, amongst other movies, and the hand on that poster is Bruce Campbell's. Yeah. How about that? That's pretty great. Thank you very much, Mike Vanderbilt. I, I knew you'd come through on that. It should be noted that uh, Bridget, it's probably the the second Linda of many Lindas uh, to come. Yeah. Oh my God, she is a Linda. It. That's right. You know? She's a Linda. I mean, technically a Linda, because there's photos of, of her and uh, Bruce on a lot of those other photos. Um, that became artwork for Bach for VHS mm-hmm, releases right. later on. They I use, love yeah. those so, photos too. I just yeah, love they're great on the set. They have that kind of, not, it's not uncanny Valley, but there's something about it that just, it's delightfully low budget and very stylish. Well, speaking of a low budget and money, Vanderbilt, this movie for as expensive as it was, it did go on to gross $2,400,000 domestically. And here's the thing though. Box Office Mojo is not necessarily correct because it says that the worldwide box office gross was $2,661,944. But a lot of other reports actually say that they believe that the international markets officially forgot to add a zero. No joke. Which means <laughs> that it's possible it actually made $27 million, not $2,700,000. Yeah, counting remains to be subpar. Why can't people figure this stuff out? It's been 40 years. Everything else is out there. We can't find out how much money this freaking thing made? It's accounting. I mean, I mean, look at our last president. It was hard enough to get uh, you know, some accounting on his behalf. So, I mean, it's <laughs> we have I, I, I imagine studios couched a lot of this shit. And I mean, that's why like when we talked about the Halloween budget, it's just like impossible to nail down uh, an actual budget and, and well, I do think the too. bottom line like, though is that it's far exceeded that with with rentals with VHS purchases, and, and with the, 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 the 17,000 special collector editions, <laughs> DVDs, yeah, Blu-rays, and everything else. I think else, so. so. So it hits theaters in 83, but it also hits home video that same year. And uh, I think a lot of people remember this when we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. The first Evil Dead release 
was released on home video through Thorn EMI in 1983. They were established by uh, and released several films, or, or rather, they were established in 81, released several films from Orion, New Line, and Universal, and they joined with HBO in 84. So it's not... I don't want to cut you off, Vanderbilt, but it's also important to know that People make this mistake all the time. This is not the same thorn that is referred to in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers <laughs> in 1995. This is different. It's Thorn EMI. This is a wholly innocent distribution studio. So Justin, go ahead. Uh, let me write that down. Yeah, please write that down. I was, the future. Don't confuse people. Don't well, deflate this. There goes that. I can cut out a paragraph in my notes now. All right. <laughs> but here's an interesting story, and I'm sure you guys did some research on this, too. I imagine Mike knows about this one, so he might want to jump in, too. So overseas, the film's released by Palace Video. I should mention about the Thorny MI one. It was the most stolen VHS from video stores for years because it was so oh. hard to find. Because this, I believe this was out of print maybe until Anchor Bay re-releases it in 1998. But I, th- that could be... A complete lie for me. But overseas, the film's released by Palace Video, who was established in 1982 by Stephen Woolley and Nick Powell. So in February 3, it goes to home video and theater simultaneously because they felt... Oh, d- oh, look at this. Day and date over here. I, HBO right? Max. I love it because they said... <laughs> and they're, they, what they say is they, it's two different audiences. The people that go to the cinema are a little more highbrow. The people who rent videotapes are lowbrow. And they are trying to hit both markets at the same time. But Sam Raimi and the guys ended up in some hot water over there. Mike, do you have anything on this? I do. Yeah. So uh, this is a Scotland Yard controversy, right? Yes. Um, Yeah. So Scotland Yard had declared the violent, you know, Scotland Yard had declared the movie to be obscenely bloody. Well, this is a video nasty. The yeah. famous video nasties. Yeah, and so Nick Powell was arrested for violation of England's Obscene Publications Act. This didn't happen until like early 1984. The film had played to you know audiences for more than a year, but during that year, numerous OPA cases had been brought against video dealers in the UK. So even though the film had been given a British Board of Film Classification Certificate 18, it was passing it suitable for people over 18. It, it, it's it's a fucking mess, but like anyway, trials <laughs> on these charges they actually began in nineteen in uh, nineteen eighty four in November, and five of the seven brought acquittals for uh, for the dealers. Um, you know, so Crown persisted in its persecution of the movie, and this led to Powell's arrest. However, uh, even before his case could be brought to trial, the judge had dismissed it decisively. And because he kind of felt that the frivolous prosecutions bring the administration into disrepute. What's crazy is that so Powell was set free with an apology, but Ramey <laughs> they flew him story. all the way over there. <laughs> they flew him all the way over there, and he took a train to Liverpool to be at court. He's sitting in court, and then the defense is like, um, basically, is like, uh, well, Mr. Ramey, what is the deal with your film? <laughs> well, they said Violence the intention of the filmmaker is not in question here. We don't need his testimony. So. You know, he's tired as hell. He went all the way over there and they're like, and he didn't have to do anything. So I hope that he got some like bangers and mash or whatever out of that trip. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like they put him on it, like they got him on a plane, they brought him to court, they looked at him, and he went, it looks like he sounds like he got right back on the plane. Yeah, it's, it, it literally feels like the beginning of like a Monty Python sketch. Well, to <laughs> be fair, he did show up wearing a, Sher- a Sherlock Holmes outfit playing with dolls. Oh, my God. He probably that, did. Probably. Like, Get him out of here. <laughs> He's an insane man. Oh, I of... say something about Scotland Yard, eh? <laughs> God. Well, it but, uh, 
But uh, one more addition to that, the, there was great poster art design for the British release by Graham Humphreys. Uh, very, uh, just as iconic as the original poster art, I would say, for the original film, and very colorful and very cool. That you I will do, and he would, also, he would go on. He we would we go did on this a lot for Friday Thirteenth. Is we on Instagram would post the various posters we could find. So we got to do that again for Evil Dead. Post all the, so the VHS many. covers and all the uh, the post international posters well, too. Normally for this section, I'd like to go into all the releases that have come out, but. I don't think, even in a four-hour podcast, I simply no. don't think we have oh. the time, and we would uh, never be, hit them all. That yeah. would be a great thing to incorporate into the video game uh, the comic all, book yeah. episode that we do. That's a great mm-hmm. thing to add to that, I think. I think we got to throw the musical in there, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, There's so true. much oh commercial medium. We got, all, we got a lot yeah. to cover in that episode, which is nice, because it'll be a full full, full ep. Yeah, yeah. Well, Just like this we one. This, before we leave this ep, though, let's talk a little about about the the career of Sam Raimi, um, you know I've got my big list of favorite directors, and according to my Gerberlytics, I cannot name twenty directors who have more solid movies than he does. And this is where it all begins. We'll run through his filmography real quick. Evil Dead, obviously, followed up with Crime Wave, which we'll talk about in our Evil Dead Two episode for sure. I know Vanderbilt, you saw, you've all seen Crime Wave except for me and Mac. You just recently watched it, right? The first time. I did. It's one of those films, and we'll get into it later, but it's one of yeah. those films where I think if Sam Raimi did it completely and wrote it, that would be a, a good movie. And I think if the Coens just did it completely <laughs> themselves, it'd be a good yeah. movie. But for some reason, the two, it's very strange. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. strange. I, Everything's I, I, dialed to 15. I saw it on, on Encore, used to show it in the 90s. And that's where I first saw it because I had read about it for years. It starts out strong, but just loses its footing fast, I think. It does too much. I think a lot of strange dubbing going on in the movie too. But yeah, the Delta we'll eighty-eight about, is there. We'll talk about crime being taken away from Raimi in our Evil Dead Two episode, but because of the failures of that movie, Evil Dead Two, and then movie Dark Man, which I would love to direct one day, by the way. Oh, um, interesting. There's, it seems of, like you have to get in line. Yeah. Well, I don't want to remake it. I want to. I want to do like a legacy sequel to Dark Man, where he fights like a super villain, like I don't know, Light. Yeah, I remember you talking something. about that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think we could film our own version of Dark Man here in Chicago. Yeah, let's do it. We'll get some shimps. Army of Darkness, Quick and the Dead, Simple Plan, which is one of the most underrated movies of the 90s. This Incredible point. movie. Incredible movie. Uh, for Love of the Game. I think we, did we talk about the off mic or on mic? I think we talked about on mic. Definitely on mic. <laughs> That's an underrated movie, though, like out of his canon, I feel yeah. like. I uh, like yeah. Kevin Costner in a baseball it's movie. It's fun. It's he only does it yeah. once in a while. Yeah. The Gift. Which is kind of return to horror. For, I mean, it was a return to horror. For kind me. of, yeah. It's a dour movie, though. Fuck. Yeah, it's, like, it's not a fun time. Even more dour than a simple plan, I would argue. Um, and yeah. then the next ten years of his life were taken over by a, uh, the Spider-Man franchise, which which changed a lot over the next twenty years of filmmaking. Drag Me to Hell, which was a, in my opinion, glorious return to the Evil Dead days. Love and you can movie. almost argue that it's part of this this canon. It's um, it's one Necronomicon away from being an Evil Dead movie. Yeah. Honestly, just like uh, Jason goes to hell. Yeah, which actually which, has an Necronomicon. In it it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, and this is a decade ago. Oz the Great and Powerful, and then that's it. One day I'll watch it. Oz movie. I, it's I, it's not I, great. I, I have not no desire to watch it. Eh, it's it's a bit of a mess, but yeah. you do have the reunion of the Evil Dead and the Ladies of Evil Dead. That's right. That's fun. Yeah. they do step out at the same time together. That's cool. And he's got the big Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming up. Apparently, Bruce Campbell's back in a cameo in that. 
David Lynch. We'll see if this is any of his, you know, his quirks in it. Because I think a lot of, honestly, if you look at a lot of like great filmmakers have made Marvel movies. And as much as I like a lot of those Marvel movies, it's very rare to say, oh, this must be a Kenneth Branagh movie. Or this, (laughs) oh, this has got to be a Sam Raimi movie. I feel like it's still going to be that Marvel look and everything else to it. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'll be wrong, but we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. I mean, one one thing we also have to to bring to mind is that he really never ditches the genre sensibilities because throughout, throughout the 90s, he pretty much carves out genre television with Xena and also Hercules. And then he goes and directs the pilot for Ash vs. Evil Dead and the teens and all, um, which honestly is the last thing we really got to see other than he did like a thing for 50 States of Fright, um, which is for Quibi. I never saw it. Um, I never really, you know, chased after it or anything. But uh, I don't know. Raimi's career is so interesting to me because it's like I feel he had such a strong run, and I don't know what happened with like. Was it Oz that really caught him to like that? There was like, all right, I'm just going to stick to being a producer after that because there was a lackluster return. But even then, I I, I almost wonder if it really was the Spider-Man movies that kind of just killed him because I feel like Spider-Man Three was just such a. It was not the movie he wanted to make, and no. he was vocal about that going into it. You know? Yeah, so I, I wonder if it was just like the the great, the big Hollywood machine that finally just chewed him out like at that point. And he had been so lucky to be able to work around it for that long. It happens to all of them. It happened to John Carpenter, it happened to Romero. It happens to all of them eventually. The Hollywood machine, especially what, what became as the years have gone on and what it continues to be. But, it must be discouraging <laughs> as, a, as a visionary filmmaker like Sam Raimi is. But it's so it's weird to me because it's like he comes back two years later with Drag Me to Hell, which is such a fucking home run, and I don't get. But it didn't do why. great at the box office. True, but yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's it. I guess at I love that, that point, movie to death, but you know, Hollywood speaks, and they're like, "Nope, you we won't let you do that again." You know, you have your shot, and ugh. But all these movies end up becoming like Dark Man wasn't a hit either. People love Dark Man. He, yeah. he knows he's making good movies. They just might not always hit at the moment they come out. You know what I mean? Mac, any final words on uh, Sam Raimi, though? Well, just that he was also responsible for Mantis. Mm. Yes. Oh, I liked Mantis. I remember that. And also uh, executive producer on uh, American Gothic, which I love. Oh, interesting. Oh, very, okay. very Cole. controversial CBS show in the mid-90s. Gary Cole, fresh off of Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> kind of involves the devil in a small town, kind of. It's, it's really good. I think it's, it's available to stream somewhere now. Check He's it a- out if you can. Pretty integral producer, too. I mean, because even yeah. beyond, you have to think of the fact that, you know, he he started the, the you know, the, the Ghost House Ghost pictures. Ghost House Productions, yeah. In addition to, like, you know, Renaissance from before. But he's produced, I mean, he did Time Cop. He did The Grudge. He did uh, The Grudge 2, Messengers, 30 Days a Night. Uh, he produced The Evil Dead reboot, obviously, and Don't Breathe, uh, the Poltergeist remake. He produced Crawl. Which is fucking great, yeah. Alexandra Zanahas Carl. So I mean, he's been busy. It's just, and then even this year, he's going to have Uma, which is going to be coming out this Oprah, month. Uma, uh, Uma, Uma, Oprah, Oprah, o- Opera. Yeah, uh, that's a reference to David Letterman, mm-hmm. Oscar, <laughs> the, the would-be Tonight Show host. I don't know. I, I, I still am just so curious about the whole Spider-Man three thing. I thought that was so fucking overblown. Like, because when you think about like shitty sequels out there, like everyone equates that to the Last Stand. It's not the Last Stand. It's not like you guys. I, you I, guys know I like that one, right? I like I like Spider-Man three. There I are think parts it's of it just that I think fine. are great. 
I, I think that the Gwen Stacy shit sucks. I don't like, I think the Sandman gets a little too repetitive with the Doc Ock thing, but like, you know, trying to, t- especially the fact that they, what they do with tying it to like the, the origin and everything. But man, like I, I actually really like Topher Grace's Venom. I think it makes well, you, more you sense. Have a, like, you, you like Topher Grace a lot. You might be I his do number love one fan. Topher to be Grace. fair, yeah. you yeah. Yeah, I am his number one fair. fan. This isn't, like, I, this isn't like, I normally don't like Topher Grace, but I thought he was great as Venom. <laughs> yeah. when I heard that casting, I thought that Thomas Hayden Church was going to be Venom because mm. that's more in line with the comic but as, I never the stature this, of the character. I know, but I just never bought this muscular bodybuilder photographer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it makes more sense to have someone that would be like a twinner to borrow from Stephen King for for Peter. I don't know. I just love his movies, and I still. I still haven't seen that. What is it? No home or Spider-Man no coming home or whatever the fuck it's called. The, the new one. <laughs> no I just, I'm so burnt out by superhero movies, but like Spider-Man two is just, I, I still think it's the top three superhero movies of all time. And I will say though, that's fantastic. not to go off on too much of a tangent, God forbid. It is tougher to watch some of those 2000 superhero movies than it is to watch like a 1980s superhero movie. Because the, the CGI truly is not Yeah, it's there. not great. It's not At great. the time, I remember thinking, oh, they finally got it right for Spider-Man 2 after the kind of wonkiness of Spider-Man. But man, if you watch the finale for Spider-Man 2 now, oh my God, it's a, it's a tough hang. So I'm curious to sit down maybe watch them all again and just try to be like, okay, I've got to put myself back in this mindset. I got to put myself back in this mindset. During COVID, I watched Spider-Man 3 because I hadn't seen it probably since theaters. Yeah. And yeah, I came around a little bit on it, but still... Still not my favorite, but I stand by it too. I still still think it's a really good movie. I think, yeah, I think the CG probably is. It's harder to watch. It's kind of that factor when you. It's kind of when you watch like the the second Matrix movie and and during the mm-hmm. the, the big you know Mr. Smith fight, everybody Awful. looks like they're rubber. Yeah, like they're Gumby characters or something. Uh, it's just like you know, it, it wasn't good at the time, and it doesn't no. it doesn't stand the test of well, time. And you I, know, I, this, this goes like all Irishman. the way back to the beginning of this episode when Mike was talking about what he loves so much about the Evil Dead, and that was the tangibility. I mean, obviously, some of these effects are extremely sloppy because they only had, you know, one take to blow somebody's neck off. You know what I mean? But you can still reach out and touch it. You can reach out and touch the, the stop motion claymation stuff going on there. And I think that's, that speaks to the strength of the Evil Dead. Yeah. And what better way to end this episode? Because this is absolutely going to be two episodes. <laughs> Look, there was a lot to talk about. There was a lot to talk about. I did not feel any of this. We went long on anything. If anything, we're a historical horror podcast and we broke down everything I really do feel like we broke down everything leading up to the movie The Evil Dead and then some. And we oh, even had some Spider-Man 3 conversation. We did, which I, it was unexpected. And I will say just uh, you know, to that point, this is so long, but yet still wide swaths of notes that I didn't oh, get yes. to. Oh, yes. And that's just... Yeah. That's just I was deleting. I was like, well, do we talk about this now? And a lot of this will be brought up. A lot of the things we didn't talk about will inevitably be brought up for our Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness discussions for sure coming up. So... But, you know, obviously stay tuned because our next episode, we're going to be talking about the music of the Evil Dead, the performances of the Evil Dead, the creatures, the special Chin. effects. We got a lot more to talk about in our next episode for sure. Anybody want to give any brief plugs? And I mean brief. Let's, let's not go for 10 minutes of plugs. Let's go. Vanderbilt. Talk follow, about Windy City. Oh, yeah. Follow Windy City Double Feature Picture Show, where we talk about double features that played the Chicagoland area. The Evil Dead, as I said, played Chicago with Extro, uh, which is worth noting if you ever check that one out. So check this out there. And don't forget to check out Centerfold, Revealing Culture Through Playboy Magazine. 
Excellent. your theme song uh, the uh, my memory has nope. just been sold? Don't want to get nope. sued. That's, co- that's copyright. Jay Giles, the ghost of Jay Giles is going to sue him. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't uh, remember the artist. I had to Peter sing it. Peter Wolf was the singer, though. That's right. Rothman, speaking of ghosts, uh, talk about a little bit of the Stephen King podcast. Part of it. <laughs> what a seg. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to be talking about Dreamcatcher, which doesn't have any ghosts, but they do have some spooky aliens. So stick around for that one. It's going to be as, uh, as crazy as the production for Evil Dead. Matt Keith, I know you're starting to work on some more music again as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's mckenziejames.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at wolfman underscore mac underscore gerber. And um, yeah, throwing my throwing my weight into Evil Dead this year and um, working on a bunch of other creative projects uh, that if you live in Chicago, you might be able to check out eventually. But uh, yeah. That'll be on snufffilms.com. <laughs> For more, <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, Nobody's now. Being I, I for said, real. don't say that yet. Don't give me the I, I website. Yet. I blew the the website. Yeah, and be sure if you if you're just joining us for the first time, please be sure to check out our back catalog where we've covered all of the Halloween movies, all the Elm Street movies, Scream movies, Friday Thirteenth movies, and be sure to definitely check out our Patreon Patreon.com backslash Halloweenies Pod. We talk about a lot of non franchise horror, and we've got almost dozens of audio commentaries for your, for your liking with some special guest Collins oh. uh, here and there. Some who have been dead for decades, some who are still with us. Some deadites there, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so part two will be coming up a little bit later this month. But until then, we do hope that you will join us. Join, join us. Join us. us. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.